Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast, is brought to you by, well, you. If you want to learn how to support our show, go to CollinsLastStand.com. <laughs> Greetings and salutations. Welcome back to Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast. This is episode 85. My name is Colin Moriarty. I'm joined as always by Chris, star pilot, Raygun. Hey, welcome. 85. That's insane. 85. That's right. 85 episodes in. Very robust catalog (laughs) of uh, episodes so far in Sacred Symbols land. How are you today, Chris? I'm uh, I'm. I'm feeling pretty good. I ate a lot of food last night, so I'm feeling uh, very rotund. Oh, today, very nice. Good. Yeah, I don't know how to. Good. I don't know how to feel about that. I'm not used to feeling well fed. Yeah, you don't eat a whole lot. You're a small young man, and you don't have a belly, and you have a fast metabolism. So, you know, this is kind of the state that I'm always in. I I eat, as everyone knows, once a day, and I just shove enormous amounts of food down my throat, and so then I wake up and I just I'm like a beached whale in my bed when I wake up and it's really nice. It's fun. (laughs) Chris, exciting news. Yeah. For us to get into before we even get into anything else. I just want to get right into it. I think that's uh, who says that Phil DeFranco. I don't know why I always I I think that's just in the back of my mind all the time. Oh, Phil. Uh, Sacred Symbols is releasing a video game. You guys all know this already. It's called Twin Breaker, a Sacred Symbols adventure. We announced it officially in December with a trailer. It's coming to PS4 and PS Vita. Today, we announced that the release date of the game is March 24th. It'll be on PS4 on Vita, $9.99 cross-buy. So if you buy it on PS4, you get the Vita version for free and vice versa. It has two platinum trophies. I made the trophy list myself. It is not an easy list per se, but it is a fair list. And it won't take you very long to get it if you try. The game is a brick breaker in the style of Arkanoid or Breakout and some other games that you might like from the 80s especially, but it has a whole story. I wrote a whole story. It's got a huge intro and an ending. It's got interstitial dialogue that I wrote between Chris and I, who are the star pilots in the game, (laughs) piloting the twin breakers. And it even has 40 collectible documents that explain the entire lead up to the story and why it all happens. Basically, the game is about generationships and first contact. And I'm really excited for you guys to 
experience it. The other exciting thing, Chris, is that we're releasing physical copies with our friends at East Asia Soft. There will be 1,000 PS4 discs and 1,000 Vita cards, believe it or not, for release. And we'll have more information on that soon. Chris, how do you feel about it? That's just, it's really surreal. I'll be real. Like seeing <laughs> seeing my face on box art is just very, I don't know, off-putting isn't the right word, but you know what I mean, right? Like there's just something kind of... It's weird. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's really weird. I mean, when I, when I started working on this game with our friend Barry Johnson, who is the one-man team at Lilymo Games, a Ontario or an Ontario-based studio in Canada who has made other games, including Perils of Baking and Habroxia. Perils of Baking is a really nice first attempt. As I always said, Habroxia is excellent. I think you guys will really like it. And you guys should check those games out. I have nothing to do with them. I have no financial investment in those games at all. I do obviously have a financial investment in Twin Breaker. But when we started making this game, I just never really thought... I knew it was going to happen, but I never really thought what it would look like when it happened. And it's really exciting. People are amped up about it on Twitter and on Facebook and on Instagram websites are writing about the game and I don't know there's there's a lot of excitement uh, about it and I'm I'm stoked about yeah. about the game I think it's going to be really cool I, I've been playing it pretty much a final version of it without we have some a few things missing but yeah the game has a lot of content in it I won't get into too many specifics but it has a bunch of extra modes outside of the story mode it also has new game plus there's a lot to really look forward to obviously platinum trophies for you guys to earn as I said one on PS4, one on Vita. So if you like it a lot, you can play it on both and earn it twice. And we're going to do a bunch of stuff leading up to the release as well. We'll do a Sacred Symbols Plus episode. I'll probably have Barry on to interview him about what it was like to make the game since he's really done most of the work. I've, you know, I'm tired from working on this game, but I've only been working on it in a really feverish way in like the last month or so. Yeah. Other than, you know, helping give feedback and all that kind of stuff. But when I really started putting pen to paper and finishing the story and stuff, it's exhausting. And I, I have a lot. I give a lot of credit to all the game devs out there. Obviously, I've been around game dev for a very long time, but this is the first time I'm making my own game. It's it's difficult. Barry is doing an amazing job. Very hard worker. Our freelance artists are doing a great job with both the in-game art and with the box art and all that. You can see it on Twitter and on Facebook and on Instagram if you want. And I haven't released all the art yet because the physical versions of the game are going to have their own unique slip covers that will each have their own unique piece of art as well. So wow, that's cool. Yeah. So a lot of good stuff out there to be excited about. And I think we're especially overwhelmed by the reaction to the physical copies. I know people want us to make more. I don't know if that's going to be possible. I'm pretty sure it's not going to be possible for Vita because we had to secure those thousand cartridges on basically the whatever's remaining in the exchange. So I don't think we're going to be able to make any more than that. But maybe with PS4, we'll do another run. I don't know. But in the meantime, 1000 of each will have more information about how you guys can order those when the time comes. So thank you so much to Lily Mo Games, Barry Johnson, East Asia Soft. We're excited. I think our game is going to do very well, indeed, on PlayStation Network. It's very so exciting. wild. Really, really amped up about it. So thank you so much out there for your excitement and for your engagement. And by the way, I know that you guys, a lot of you are asking about pre-ordering and preloading. I'm not even sure that's really an option for us. Our game is really small. It's 10 bucks. I don't know that we can even do that, but we would love to be able to do that. But I don't know if that's going to be possible, but we'll we'll ask and we'll see yeah. if that's something that we can do as well. We haven't submitted for certification yet, so we have to get through that first. All right, Chris, let's see here. Sacred Symbols PlayStation Podcast is our weekly PlayStation Podcast. 
You can get it three days early and ad-free on Patreon at patreon.com slash Collins Last Stand, where almost 8,000 of you support us. We very much appreciate that. It's also a good way to get access to our Patreon-exclusive Sacred Symbols episode each week called Sacred Symbols Plus. Last week's episode was a fun one we did, basically something where we had you guys write into us about all the things you think we're wrong about. And we <laughs> responded to those things, tried our hardest to defend our positions, <clears throat> excuse me, our positions. And people really enjoyed the episode. And I thought we would be able to get everything into one episode, but we weren't. So I did my own question and answers that will be this week's episode. So the episode that's already up is Chris and I doing ours together and then Chris defending himself. And then you guys really took full advantage of challenging me, of course. So I did about another hour, <laughs> 70 minutes of of just defending myself yeah. without having to uh, submit Chris to that sort of nonsense and chicanery. Yeah, that was a lot. It was. And there's more. I mean, even in the comments on the podcast, Chris, you know, people have more things to say. So we'll do it again. Yeah. And I think it's fun. I, I know that this is a one way street. It's a podcast. We try our hardest, as you guys know, and we're going to get into just very briefly to get all of your questions, comments, concerns, thoughts and ideas in here. We get so many submissions. We can only use a fraction of them. We really try to be a listener run show. I think that at least with the podcast I listen to, no one else does it like this. So I'm proud of that. But I also know that we can't get everything in and especially other than corrections, which we'll again get into in a moment. We can't get into all of the things you guys just take serious umbrage with. So it was a fun exercise and we'll definitely do it again soon, I think. Yeah. Now, Chris, how is I haven't been to California. I moved out of California, obviously, in December. I haven't been there in a while. How mm-hmm. is how is California? Is it doing well? It's stupid. It's raining yeah. really mm-hmm. like heavily every like couple minutes and then it stops and then it's sunny again and then the earth shakes occasionally and no one can still drive. Right. OK, so everything's pretty much the same. It's as I've left it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This time of year in California is always fun because I actually really like the rain and it's been raining like crazy here in Virginia, which is awesome. It's actually seasons here and trees that aren't palm trees and all sorts of things. It's really fun. But I like this time of year in California because actually just the, the skies open up for a little while and it's it's just different because I never even you get so used to not even checking your weather when you live in California because you just assume it's going to be the exact same at all oh, times. Yeah. And, it, and it typically is. So. Yeah, it's it's usually decent, although I will admit, I, th- I feel like it's gotten colder in general in the last like year or two. Because I remember, like, when I moved here initially, December was, like, you could go out in December and it'd be, like, 70 degrees, like, 80 degrees. But here it's, like, it's more fluctuative. It's definitely more, like, it's 50-some days and then it's 70-some days and it's it's a little weird. It's climate change. We're all going to die. Oh, well. So, it's fine. It's perfect. Did you see that there was a, I don't know what it was, like, an Emerson poll or something that was taken in New Hampshire where of Democrats where... More people want an asteroid to hit Earth than Trump to be reelected. It was like a real poll that right. was conducted. <laughs> uh, I, th- I thought it was so funny. I'm like, I feel that energy, not necessarily about Donald Trump or politics or anything, but just the general. Oh, yeah. End of the world energy. I'm all about that. No, I'm all yeah. about that end of the world energy. <laughs> I concur. All right. Let's see here, Chris. We got through all of the Twin Breaker stuff and all of the rigmarole for the intro. We have quite a few corrections. They're basically all for me. So I'll get through these really quick. All right. Obviously, we like to clear the record if we get something wrong. And we'll start doing that now. Seth Slykus. Slykus. I never know how to say that. Says, hey, Colin, just real quick. Wanted to keep you from making a massive mistake. A few weeks ago, you said that Tales of Brazaria was the weird open one that no one liked. This isn't true. The game you're thinking of is Zestiria. When choosing which to play, make sure you go Berseria. 
It's the traditional Tales game you love, and it's by most accounts one of the best. Zestiria should be wiped from the face of the earth. How do you feel about the flagrant use of the words Zestiria and Berseria? I, Chris, how does that how does that make you feel? They're words. They're words that I guess mean mean things to people. Yeah. <laughs> this is gibberish as hell to me. It's funny too because the new Tales game that comes out this year is called Tales of Arise. So they're just going right back to a normal word again. I guess they're tired of making up all these fucking, you know, yeah. like tales of exilia, tales of legendia. It's always an ia. It's always an ia, right? Yeah. Is that just like a suff- is that like a just like a suffix for land? I guess. Yeah, I don't even. I, I guess so, or like a, a piece of lore because the games aren't. They're just like Final Fantasy tales. Games have literal sequels when they take place in the same place, but they're not always named after. The kingdom or world because there's there's games like tales of destiny for instance oh, which right. is actually my which is actually my favorite but typically speaking um very good very good john franco wrote in and said god damn it colin chris redfield is a playable character on the first resident evil you said in episode 84 that he first appeared in 2000's code veronica this made me cringe almost as much as when ign completely fucked up the plot of silent hill in a top 10 list keep breathing as you do much love you're absolutely right i don't even know why i said that but a lot of people wrote in <laughs> And uh, so, yeah, we were talking about I don't know what we were talking about. Oh, Resident Evil 8. The rumors about how Chris Redfield might be in it. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. He is in the first Resident Evil. Don't know what I was thinking. I take it on the chin. Matt Setapani wrote in. Oh, I'm sorry, Chris. No, isn't it just like really just genuinely scary whenever you just you realize that you've said something and it's it's been weeks or like days since you said it. And then you realize, like, why the why did I say that? I know that's false. Yeah, I say things that are wrong all the time. So I think when you talk into a microphone enough and you know all about this, especially now that you're doing your snark tank podcast, although you guys are a comedy podcast, we're a comedy podcast, I guess, too, but it's a little different. But if you're just talking, think about all the facts and information that just flows through an episode of Sacred Symbols and how much of it is right. And almost all of it is right. So it's really not a huge surprise that occasionally we're going to get something wrong. And I hate like realizing that because when someone wrote in about it, and I saw it for the first time or I think we got a tweet about it or something. I was like, oh, shit. I remembered saying that. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's totally not true at all. But there's nothing you can really do about it. <laughs> yeah, it's like already in the wild. I'm not going to go go back and edit. At that moment, though, you have to like start thinking about whether or not you're even where you are, really. Like, am I yeah. in a padded cell somewhere hallucinating sure. all this? Sure. Could be the simulation breaking. I don't really know. But yeah, we get things wrong. The important thing is that we try to correct the record. Right. As well. So anyway, Matt Setapani wrote into us, Chris. He said, hey, guys, just wanted to do a quick correction. Welcome to the club, Matt. Over the last few episodes, you said MLB The Show will be heading to other platforms in 2022. It is actually 2021. So this year's MLB The Show 20 is the final PS exclusive game in the series. You're actually totally right about this as well. I think the reason I went and looked at this, I think the reason that I was putting it two years ahead was because it was two years ahead when it was announced. And I just forgot that the calendar rolled over. So that was an easy mistake to make. But I went back to the original announcement from Sony San Diego and the MLB. And they said that it could happen. They, their verbiage is that it could happen as soon as 2021. And so, yeah, right. MLB The Show. This, this will be, again, Sony's first first party game that will be multi-platform. So we will see more about how that all works out in the future. All right. Last correction. No time wrote in and said, hello, CNC. Last week, Colin was speaking about the possibility of making an MLS game. That's Major League Soccer here in the United States. Well, FIFA includes MLS League since like forever. It was in FIFA as far back as PSP entries of the franchise. Keep on keeping on. When I was saying this is another thing, Chris, where I was saying it and I knew it was wrong because <laughs> with the NHL games that I sometimes play and along and played for a long time, they have like everything 
And so I assumed that that was the same for FIFA, but I just said it anyway. Yeah. Whatever. What do you guys want from me? Leave me alone. <laughs> All right. Let's talk about you for a minute, Chris. Andres wrote in and said, how is Chris sick three plus times in the last year? Does he have the immune system of a toddler? Chris, I for a recluse, I interact with a lot of people. Like uh, and actually like kind of a, a shocking amount of people come through my apartment. My apartment's kind of like the hub of my entire, you know, web of relationships. Like all of my friends, all of my family who comes to L.A., they come here and they bring their germs from when they drove here from fucking Arizona. And then I've got some random strain of, you know, swine flu from, yeah, you know, like <laughs> God knows. I actually don't. It's weird. Like, I find myself getting like a quarter or like halfway sick all the time, but never like really succumbing. It's like I think I get really sick once a year, but like I think a couple times a year I'll just get like the beginnings of a cold and then it'll go away or like the beginnings of I don't know, just something. It's weird. Yeah, you know, how, you know how you get like the scratch at the back of your throat or, you know, it, and then you have to just kind of wait and see how it all goes. Right. There. Yeah. I totally hear you. That happened to me recently. Now that I'm around my six nieces and nephews pretty often, you know, children are little little germ factories. Oh, yeah. It's only a matter of time before I, I catch something just catastrophic from one of these kids. There's no doubt about <laughs> catastrophic. it. And it's funny because uh, I often don't. Well, I don't often, I should say, get sick. Like I haven't been violently ill, like really fucked up in probably 10 years or so. Where really? I'm like throwing up and I'm like bedridden for days. Yeah. The last time that I was like bedridden, I remember this because I'm a fucking dork. It was the week that Plants vs. Zombies came to PS3 and I was in bed just playing that game constantly because I was like really, really violently ill. But I'm not much of a puker. I don't really throw up very often. So if I throw up, it's something's up. Something's wrong. Yeah. And but I've not been like bedridden with like an ill, like a real illness and sometime I'm a pretty chronic hand washer and also I really am a recluse. So that's both a blessing and a curse because that's obviously not inoculating me against the various germs in public. But I'm also not exposed to those germs. So it's yeah. a double edged sword. I did go with uh, some friends to a brewery, triple point brewery this past weekend where two different fans of this podcast recognized me, by the way. Oh, cool. Just throwing that out there. And it was like some sort of beer fest for IPA. I love IPAs. And we you go buy cans and they give you cups and you kind of just share with people. But eventually you get so drunk that everyone's just drinking out of the cans at your table or whatever. So <laughs> yeah. God knows what I fucking God knows what's going to happen to me in the coming days, weeks and months. Well, ahead. I mean, alcohol is also kind of one of those things that kind of neutralizes that stuff. Generally that's speaking. Yeah, that's a good point. So it's the safest an environment IPA, to do it, that kind of thing. Yeah. And IPAs are high alcohol content. Seven, eight percent. Yeah. You can get an imperial IPA that's even higher. So. Yeah, you're right. I, again, I haven't been drinking too much beer the last five or six years until I moved here, and I'm just I'm just right back in it. I'm gonna I'm gonna be rolling a, rolling away soon. <laughs> All right, Damon Weathers wrote into us and said, "Hey, C Dubs, a few months back, I told you about how I gifted my PS Vita to my nephew a few weeks after I bought it, and you called me a piece of shit on the air." <laughs> To which many friends of mine text confirming me and agreeing, citing I was part of the problem with Vita's short-lived time on our planet, understandably so. Recently, I was visiting the same nephew's family home for an event last week, and I saw said Vita sitting in my nephew's room collecting dust on a shelf, surrounded by books and trash. Your, your nephew lives in some interesting surroundings here. A little layer of dust was on it. It was obvious that he wasn't using it, as I'm sure he has life with school and sports 
Uh, I don't like people with lives, by the way. So in an irrational split second of decision making, I snagged it and put it in my coat pocket and took it home with me. It's been clean, charged and works perfectly after being wiped and restored. The browser still has his porn history on it. That's awesome. But now she's back home with me and never leaving again. Not sure if that makes me an even worse person than I was before, but I regret absolutely nothing. Hope both of your weeks go well. Thanks for making Tuesdays. Uh, he just says, thanks for making Tuesdays. I, 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 yeah. I don't actually make the day of Tuesday on the week. And he says, and loving Snark Tank, Chris. Hey, sick. That's by the way, this this is like a very this feels like a like a modern kind of Seinfeld episode gifting, gifting somebody a video game system and then seeing that they're just not using it and then just deciding to steal it. Yeah, it's like is, something George would do. Yeah, 100 percent. Yeah. yeah. I love Absolutely. It. I love that his porn history is on there. I got to say, I don't think I ever even used the web browser on Vita. So I never used I never looked at porn on the Vita to be perfectly, perfectly honest. That was what my iPad was for. The yeah. iPad too. you know, I used the iPad for that. I did that on the PSP, but it took so long to load that I just didn't care. Yeah. And it's in like some sort of weird aspect ratio and resolution. So it just looks worse. Yeah. Than it's it. like really widescreen. Yeah. It's <laughs> stretching these. You like you like your women thick. Yeah. So, you know, this makes him even thicker. Two feet high and uh, seven feet wide. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like a it's like a brick or something like that. It's like good stuff. <laughs> uh, so, uh, Damon, you made the right choice. You still are a piece of shit, but I'm glad that you got the Vita back and that you've secured it so you can play Twin Breaker on it. Yeah. On March 24th. It's good that you've given the Vita a better home, but you've also robbed a child. Right. So, yeah. I mean, it's again, a double edged sword. Yeah. As it were, that child doesn't need anything. That child's gr- not grateful for that Vita. He doesn't care about that Vita. Yeah. All right. Max Dexter Smith wrote in and said, hey, cuties, Colin and Chris put straight boys. I'm conflicted. About a month ago, we had a roommate move out on terms that were worse than they were better. And to be honest, we're all glad that they're gone. They were an arse. I wonder where this guy's from. But as I was cleaning up after their leave, I found they left a shopping bag outside with a PS2 and some classics like Simpsons Hit and Run and Lego Star Wars, which has surprisingly not been damaged by the elements. There was also a Wii, but that's not important because it didn't have Animal Crossing. Let's go to the city. Is that was that an Animal Crossing game? I don't know. I don't think that that was. was, It might have been. I don't know. I didn't play Animal Crossing on Wii. They haven't contacted us for the bag back. And quite frankly, I don't think they will. The most recent save on the memory card is from 2011. Should I be the bigger person and reach out to them to retrieve the misplaced consoles? Or perhaps I could just not. I mean, they did leave it in a bag outside and they never put the milk back in the fridge after using it. Thanks, lads. Chris, what do you think about this? No, you keep it. Yeah, you keep it. If it how if it's especially here's the thing, you give it like a month, and if they haven't asked about it, then they don't care about it. That is my genuine opinion. That's true. I mean, these people can be profoundly lazy. Let me give you an example of laziness. I offered Chris my base when I was moving, and he was so lazy <laughs> that he couldn't even come over and get it before I moved. So I just shipped it. Yeah, that's that's laziness. So eventually, you have to just accept the laziness and do with it what you will. Now, I have to say, Chris, there's another element of this, which is if you believe in karmic debt, because maybe the right thing. I mean, I don't say maybe definitely the right thing to do if you believe in karma is probably to offer up the games to these people. And then maybe they'll just be like, I don't because if they did, because then if they are like, let's, sh- you know, can you ship it to me? I'm like, no, I'm not fucking shipping you the games and whatever. But at least you kind of clear your karmic plate of any universal debt you might have. 
And then you keep the games without any guilt. But it's a matter of if you care about that sort of thing or not. I say that they've abandoned these games pretty clearly, but I'm just saying that that's an option, Max. I don't want to give you I don't want to lead you down the wrong road. Of course, we always say on the show, do what feels good. Here's the thing. I haven't played my PS2 in a very, 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 very long time. If I was packing and I was moving into a new place and I was unpacking, I would wonder where my PS2 was. Hmm. That's what like I would I would call like pretty immediately as I'm moving into a new place. I'd be like, where the hell is my PS2? Did I leave it? So these people really just they they don't care. It's yours. Yeah. Take it. It's yours. Yeah, you can. (laughs) What was that from? That was some weird Brad Smith or I almost said Brad Smith who used to play for the New York Jets. Brad Pitt. Right. Yeah. Movie from a long time ago, but whatever. It doesn't matter. No one knows what I'm talking about. Alex Shanner wrote in and said, hey, guys, it sounds like Chris has some serious concerns about bats. When I was in grad school, my professor's primary research was on bats in Brazil. Sounds fucking horrible. Chris, many species of bats coexist in the same region because they occupy very specific niches. One of your favorite words. Do in large, well, he says niche. Yeah. Do in large, like a good Frenchman. Do in large part to the variations in diet. Some are bloodsuckers, but others eat insects, fruit, or nectar. But what you really might be happy about is that my professor personally murdered over 6,000 bats (laughs) in the name of science to analyze their stomach contents. I believe they were captured in nets and they had their necks snapped with pliers. Damn. That's 6,000 bats plus all those potential offspring that won't be coming for you with the coronavirus. Yo, that is metal as shit. I know that's pliers. Fuck. Yeah, that's that is metal. Holy moly. How do you feel about that? That's a bat genocide. Uh, you know, listen, here's, I don't hate bats or, or, or like, I have no opinion on bats other than I just don't want them around me or like on me. In an, in and you want to eat them. You don't yeah, want to eat and them. I, and I definitely don't want to eat them raw, cooked or otherwise. Right. Uh, but I, I, like, I remember when I was living in upstate New York, like, uh, when it would get to the point, uh, what is that time of day when it's like blue, but like, you can still see the sky, but it's like dark. You it's know what dusk. I mean? Dusk. Yeah. Whenever it was dusk, I would go outside. <laughs> That's just a so weird... Nobody says that, really. Nobody says meet me at dusk anymore. That's like such a no, 17th century not. thing. But <laughs> uh, me and my friends would go outside like around that time and just throw sticks up in the air. And the bats would like kind of come out of the trees and like swoop down at the at the sticks. And it was yeah, they're wild. like echolocating echolo- or whatever. Yeah, they would think whatever it was like some doing. kind of a, a small bird or like a, a high, like a swarm of insects or something. It was really cool to watch. Yeah, they're interesting creatures. Definitely interesting, but I don't want them. Can we just all agree that people need to stop eating weird shit? Yeah. Like, stop eating bats. Stop eating centipedes and other bugs. It's weird. I'm sorry. It's just weird. Yeah. I, I can't allow this anymore to happen. It's, it's we definitely... We can't be eating these things. It's definitely too much. Like this, and, and the thing that I have... Like, I don't mind the fruit bats that look like dogs, even though they're kind of chimeran <laughs> disasters. Yeah. But uh, the ones that look like... The vampire bats, the ones that look like uh, like ears, like they can uh, they can fuck right off. Yeah, I don't like them. I yeah. don't like them. And I don't want to I don't want I don't really don't want them near me. If they're an important part of the ecosystem, no doubt. Yeah. But it, it brings me up to, you know, there's all these interesting theories. I was reading about this recently about there's there are some ideas that we can make mosquitoes extinct by introducing I guess certain genetically modified mosquitoes into the wild and then they'll mate and like fuck up all the future generations of mosquitoes. And this will this is something that they want to do because mosquitoes carry like these horrifying viruses and diseases or whatever that are killing people, especially in like Africa and other developing places. And they talk about like, well, is it worth like the destruction of whatever ecosystem to 
to rid us of whatever malaria or whatever people are getting. And that's obviously a tough one. I probably would say that we probably can figure out a different way to do it. But with bats, I'd be willing to destroy the entire ecosystem if we can make bats extinct. And so, uh. Alec, Alec, I say your your professor with his pliers, the metal, we're going to call him Professor Metal. He was doing uh, God's work. And I say, let the bat genocide continue unabated. I don't know, man. Bats are at least kind of cool. You know, they're not like mosquitoes. Like I would rather like I would rid the world of mosquitoes, not for malaria, but for the lack of mosquitoes. Yeah. Yeah. Like the malaria, not with malaria, notwithstanding. <laughs> You know, <laughs> yeah. Do you, well, you're from New York, like I am. So, do you remember horse flies? Oh my god! Oh, horrifying. Yeah, just horrifying. They're what the flies. Fuck are they even doing? They're flies. <laughs> <laughs> Why are they biting people? <laughs> they're flies that bite. Good lord! What is this show? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, they're viruses with like green heads, and they're like really distinct. I'm sure they're in other places, but I had only really experienced them on Long Island. Are those the ones that tap dance in in the horse's eyes? Uh, I guess that's why they're called that. Maybe. Yeah, I don't I don't know what they're doing. I don't know why they're biting you because I don't think they get any. I don't think they're eating anything. No. I think they're just dickheads like you would come up in, from a pool. If you were in a pool, you'd come up and they would immediately get you. Yeah, it was like they were waiting. I was like, what is going on? They were they were nefarious creatures. Yeah, they're Indeed. like the wasps of flies. That's right. That's right. Yeah, because if you uh, disturb like a wasp or a hornet's nest and then jump in water, they'll just wait for your ass to come up. Then they'll get you. Yeah, they're, they're, so. pre, they're premeditative. By the way, I, I got to look this up. Oh, no, I remember what the name is. I've been watching this YouTube channel for a few months called Hornet King. I think I might have brought this up. <laughs> what? Uh, and it's a dude who like lives in Pennsylvania, I think, who is like an expert. He's like an expert that goes. People have like a hornet nest or a bee's nest or something in their house or in a barn or something. And he like goes and gets it for them and like destroys it. And he just videotapes all of it. And it's fucking awesome. Like he's just murdering these motherfuckers by the thousands, like with just a, he has like a wet dry vac and all. It's like I'm like, this is such an amazing job. And what a smart idea to videotape all of it that's, for that content. That sounds like really cathartic. It's I'm telling you, it really is. Now, I think those are really cool creatures. I like hornets and bees and everything. They're they're awesome, but not when they're in your in your shed or in your attic or something. And this guy is just laying waste to these motherfuckers. It's quite remarkable and then he takes this is you want to hear something that's metal he lives on like a like some sort of farm and he takes the the intact nests that are full of larvae and then he feeds the larvae to his chickens jesus the circle it's the circle of life yeah there all right i don't know what we're talking about chris let's get into what we're playing says here you're playing the outer worlds talk to me about it yeah man I'm, i'm getting back into it I kind of put The Witcher on the back burner because I think I mentioned last time that I, I, I kind of had this, a lot of the story just sort of spoiled for me on, on passing glances. I'll probably get around to it once I've forgotten all of them, which is probably likely to happen <laughs> relatively soon. But yeah, I, I really like it. I like it, I think, more than I thought I did. And I already kind of liked it a lot. It just feels really refreshing to play a game like this after so long. Of just not having games like this. I feel like even Fallout 4 for as, you know, as much as I didn't really have a problem with that game as much as a lot of people did, uh, it definitely felt more like a really in-depth shooter with some RPG elements and less like a, an RPG with some tight shooting. And I feel like this is kind of just really, 
I don't know, man. It, it just feels really good to play a game like this again. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to getting back to it at some point, because what I remember being so satisfying about it with the 20 or so hours I played was you really could play it nonviolently quite a bit it, more extensively in my experience than the Fallout games. Yeah, which was cool. Now, I don't always want to play my games nonviolently, but in this kind of game, I was just dumping like all of my points into speech and what I don't even remember influence, whatever the various stats are that you can do. And and you could just get out of like so many situations just by rolling the dice instead of pulling your gun. And I just felt like I had never really played a game that truly realized my ambition in this regard until I played the Outer Worlds. And maybe I just wasn't playing the Fallout games right, but I think I, I'm, I'm not an idiot. I, I, so <laughs> I think they just don't they just don't have as many like options with perception and all that kind of stuff in the Fallout games as they seem to have had in the Outer Worlds where. I was I actually was disappointed when I had a fight, but typically you had a you just fight in the wild. But the yeah. thing that the outer world, the outer world feels a little tight, though. And what I mean by that is like it's a little it seems a little constrained in its size, which I understand because that makes it a little more approachable. But that's the only thing that. Yeah, I remember kind of thinking negatively about it, but I don't have like a full opinion on it. Honestly, that's the only reason I even went back to it in the first place is because I knew that it was so short. Relative to like a, a Witcher or. Something of that scale. Well, the Outer Worlds, we'll talk about that in a little while, actually, in the news, because there is something to say about it. But I'm glad that you got back to it. I'm still playing Dragon Quest XI. I just can't even talk about it anymore. I'm sick about it. (laughs) What's actually fun is I'm getting close now. I'm definitely getting close to the end. And because I think there's only like five or six story trophies left to get. And uh, it's fun. I mean, I'm enjoying it. Again, I find it quite charming. I just don't understand why it has to be this long. I like games that are long and sometimes a game can really justify its length in a lot of different ways. But I just don't know that Dragon Quest XI is justifying its length, although there are some really interesting and shocking twists and turns in the story that I wasn't I certainly wasn't anticipating. And it's a good game to just like listen to podcasts while you're playing. And then I just pause the podcast when there's dialogue and and take a gander at what they're saying. But it's still there. By the, I, I'm pretty sure because. I've already recorded Knockback and Sacred Symbols Plus this week and all the stuff with Twin Breakers now done. I've submitted all my stuff. So I really need like some time to myself. I haven't had like a moment to myself really in a while. Yeah. Between work and family and all that. So I think I'm going to have an extensive amount of time this week to finally like sit down and play it for more than a couple hours a night, which is what I've been basically doing and getting it off my plate. And I think I've decided what the next JRPG is I'm going to go after, which is Final Fantasy VIII. Mm. Final Fantasy VIII. Is what I'm going to be playing next, I do believe. All right. Trophy enabled on PS4. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. 
Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. All right, Chris, let's get into the news. There's a lot of news. This is actually the longest. I wanted to say this at the top, but I forgot. This is the longest Sacred Symbols planning doc ever in the history of the show. It's we usually are between seven and eight pages on Google Docs. This one is 10 pages long. And a lot of it has to do with just there's just a lot of news to get through. So we'll take our time and and explore all of these different topics of note. And we'll start with number one. There's some PlayStation 5 news to discuss. Not much of it good. For starters, Business Insider notes that due to the coronavirus currently wreaking havoc across mainland China, both PlayStation 5 and Xbox Series X consoles that will be wholly manufactured in China may be delayed, though this is obviously speculative and no word from Sony about this has yet been revealed. Business Insider relays word from a note sent out to some investors from the Jefferies Group that said in part, quote, the video game sector is currently manufacturing or beginning to a once in several years product generation change for the 2020 holiday season. If shutdowns exceed a month or so, game schedules will be delayed. New consoles may likewise suffer supply issues from a prolonged disruption ahead of their fall 2020 planned launches, end quote. Meanwhile, IGN relays word from Sony CFO Hiroki Totoki. That's what his name is. It's awesome. Hiroki (laughs) Totoki, who said in part, quote, it's very difficult to discuss anything about the price at this point in time. He's talking about PS5. And depending upon the price level, we may have to determine the promotion that we are going to deploy and how much cost we are prepared to pay. So it's a question of balance. All of this. uh, And that's at the end of the quote. So what he's saying there is uh, they've not decided the price yet, which has been circulating quite a bit. All of this comes on the back of a piece from Website Protocol that quoted in part Microsoft's Phil Spencer, who said, quote, When you talk about Nintendo and Sony, we have a ton of respect for them, but we see Amazon and Google as the main competitors going forward. That's not to disrespect Nintendo and Sony, but the traditional gaming companies are somewhat out of position. I guess they could try to recreate Azure, but we've invested tens of billions of dollars in cloud over the years. I don't want to be in a fight over format wars with those guys while Amazon and Google are focused on how to get gaming to 7 billion people around the world. Ultimately, that's the goal, end quote. There is a lot to get through here, Chris. Yeah. But the thing that we have to, I guess, kind of identify, and, and this, I think the coronavirus, I don't even want to say this and, and be wrong about it because obviously there's terrible shit happening in China and, and elsewhere. The first American actually died of coronavirus a few days ago. And you see some terrible videos of communist repression in China of people being locked into their apartments and all this. There's a lot of crazy shit. And certainly more people are dead than the Chinese government is letting on. But I just don't know if this is really going to be this like global pandemic that everyone's so afraid of. I guess we'll see. But we do have to identify one way or the other that this might have a material effect on PlayStation 5's availability and maybe even release date since these consoles are built at Foxconn in China, where like everything is built. So uh, how are you feeling about that? Are you feeling like uh, we might see some delays or supply constraints? Uh, I don't know. I, I don't think it's likely. I do think it's this is a big deal, but I, I don't know if it would really. I, I just don't see any reason why it would delay hardware just because people are sick or maybe just the, the machines are contaminated. Like, what would be the reason? I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that if the factory workers are sick or if they're trying to silo everyone away from each other so that no one's getting each other sick then it could be that production of everything just shuts down. Then you have a back, a back because they're not only making PS5s. So 
then you have like this idea of like, well, then they have to catch up on all these other things. And then before you know it, you're just behind and you can't make as much of a supply as you want. And if you don't have the availability that you want of the PS5, do you just delay it in order to let them build these things up? Because as the Jefferies group said in their note to their investors, the production of these consoles, and I've been saying this too, the production of the consoles is going to actually begin soon, both components and then in box versions. I mean, they're going to have to get these things done yeah. and boxed this summer. So it's just it, I don't think it's so much about the units being contaminated, but about the availability of the personnel needed right. to make this stuff, because I think I could be wrong, but I think that Tesla ate shit this week on the market because they were not able to get their stuff, their supplies from, from China, of I guess, some new cars or new components that they're building. So this is already having a material effect in a more immediate way on on different manufacturers. So it's just something that we have to throw out there. Yeah. Um, as a possibility. Joshua Taylor did write in about this and uh, he says, what's up, CNC, with the recent news of Nintendo having to delay production of the Switch because of the Corona outbreak. So, by the way, yeah, the there is a production delay already in motion currently with, the, I guess, Switch because Nintendo is experiencing, I guess, issues as well out of China. And he says it makes me think of an even more dire situation. Is it possible that the launch of the next generation is delayed if this thing isn't contained soon? What do you think the timeline would have to be before they would absolutely have no choice but to delay production and ultimately the launch or playing devil's advocate? Do you see a scenario where they manufacture what they can, knowing full well that there would be a shortage for the foreseeable future? It would create an even hotter product due to its short supply, almost guaranteeing the PS5 would fly off the shelf for the first 18 to 24 months as soon as it's stocked. It would somewhat recreate the Wii era shortage, with the difference being that this is real and not an artificial supply issue. Sorry for the long question, but I thought it was well worth discussing. Keeping Keep making all my days great. Thank you so much for your question. So Joshua wisely brought up the Wii yeah. supply constraint that happened in 2006 and 2007. And like he said, that was an artificial supply issue, which Nintendo is absolutely notorious for. So this would be different. I don't know, Chris, what would be the better option is saying... We can only create 30 or 40 percent of the PS5s that we want and we'll release it on time or saying we're just going to hold off and make a backfill of the consoles and release it and say February. I actually like the latter option. And again, this is all hypothetical because it really can't. uh, The only thing it can hurt is Sony and their bottom line, which is going to be hard for them to kind of withstand, especially because PS4 sales will basically just freeze at that point. So they're not going to have that that revenue and we're going to talk about ps4 sales in a little while because they are slowing down but i think it would be much wiser to say like listen we'll have enough consoles for everyone that wants them we need a little bit more time and this this gives everyone with launch games more time to work too but i think that they would have to work with their third parties and their publishing partners because a lot of people are also relying on the revenue from a november launch so it's very complicated and again we're being hypothetical here it might not be anything but as the letter said this is already affecting switch production so who the fuck knows yeah, how this is going to shake out. I feel like it's definitely going to be more likely that you're going to see it launch on time with a supply shortage, if this is a thing. There are far too many companies involved, and I also just think if one of them pushes... it, Let's say if one of the major... Let's say if Xbox releases their thing in February, then Sony would almost be poised to just put it out on time anyway, just to get out ahead of it, because that was the initial release schedule anyway. Like It wouldn't even be releasing it early or like releasing it with some kind of sacrifice to power just to get out ahead. It it would literally be just on time. Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, that's a really interesting point in the sense, Chris, that if one goes and the other doesn't or one tries to take advantage of it, it could also create 
bad PR optics for them by saying like, well, you're taking advantage of this catastrophe in China to just get a get up on your competitor. But that's what the market's all about in a way. Yeah. But I think that we're worrying about we're probably worrying about nothing. I, I really feel I, again, I don't want to be wrong. I know people are dying. It's really it is a sad and terrible thing. But I, I just don't think this is going to probably prove to be an issue. It's we're recording this on February 10th. Yeah. The consoles come out in probably nine months from now, maybe even to the day. So there's time, but there's not that much time. There's not that much time. So we will have to see when you're making this many consoles and this many components and and creating at such an economy of scale, you got to get ahead of the game. So we'll find out how it all goes. And I always bring up about how the PS3 Slim literally leaked uh, and leaked out of Foxconn and was in uh, Singapore black market before it was even announced. That's how early these things are. Are manufactured. Yeah. That literally happened. And people people that are longtime PlayStation fans will remember that. That was like one of the funniest and most interesting videos to ever be on YouTube because people were like, holy shit, what the hell is this thing? And no one believed that it was real. And then it ended up being real. And it was very many months before it was even announced. So you might start seeing these things being manufactured and finding their way out of Foxconn, maybe even this spring. We'll find out. And remember, too, I'm sorry to keep jumping in and interrupting myself, but also Phil Spencer said over the holiday season that he's already playing with an Xbox Series X at his house. Like yeah. as his main Xbox one. So, I mean, obviously he has access to hand built ones, but just saying that these things, weirder things have happened. Weirder things have happened. Oh, for sure. Josh Torres wrote in and said, hello, Commander Colin and Conqueror Chris. There's been a lot of talk about Sony and Microsoft delaying announcing the price of their next gen console or waiting for one to announce first. Is this really that big of a deal? Thank you. So this has also been a thing. I think a lot of this comes from mistrans or like kind of misunderstanding of what's actually being said. But it is true that Sony is kind of waiting to see how the cards fall before announcing the date. But I think that this has more to do with component prices. And by the way, the prices of consoles might spike for them on the manufacturing and if coronavirus causes a problem. So I think that they have to wait for that reason, too. Yeah. But I think you and I are both in agreement, right, that we're looking at a four hundred and ninety nine USD price point for PS5. Yeah, I would think that would be the same case for the Series X also. I, th I, th I think you don't want to go over five hundred. Like, 500 is just the sweet spot of, like, this is a luxury item and it's expensive, but, you know, it, it's not gonna, it doesn't seem unfair, necessarily. It's a bit much, but it doesn't seem unfair. Like, 550 or, like, 600 is just, like, what the fuck is that? That's, like, rent for a lot of people. So, yeah, I mean, I think we're in agreement. So, I was just looking at the at inflation... So the PS4 launched in 2013 at $400, $399. In 2019, that's a 450 that's about $451 mm -hmm. with incorporating inflation. So it's still going to be slightly more expensive the new console than the old console in real money right. at $499. But I agree with you. I think that's an optical price point. I think that it's an optimum price point, but I think it's optically really vital to not go over that price point, not only for PlayStation's sordid history of, of going over that price point with PlayStation 3 in, in particular, but I just feel like they might not find a market above that price point. I think it's it, it's they do that. They do that at their own risk. What would be awesome is if they can go below that price point, but I don't think so. And that was what was so interesting about the Sony CFO's words about how much cost they're willing to eat. I mean, he was basically saying that. And yeah, I think that's why they're interested to see if Mike, because if Microsoft goes at 500 again, which is what they did the last time, then Sony going at 400 or even 449 
even if they broke even or had to eat a little bit, would probably behoove them. I think that, that they would love to do that. So I think that maybe as much as companies don't react to each other in real time very often, this might be a way for them to do so. But they're going to have to lock it in yeah. internally at some point to know their cost because they're going to have to figure that out. But then there's also the very real reality of the fact that because Xbox is such a agnostic platform now and their software is available in so many different places and they're getting all this revenue from Game Pass as a service that they could probably afford to just push the price of the unit down and probably appeal to more people in the process. You're right. I wonder if, yeah, it would be interesting if they went in the opposite direction this time because Xbox's agnosticism is, is really appealing to a lot of people and I understand why it's not appealing to me, but it is appealing to a lot of different people. And so maybe the shoe will be on the other foot this time. I actually wouldn't mind seeing a more competitive market in that way. Make Sony sweat a little bit and see what they can do under duress since they really haven't been in some time. Yeah. All right, Chris, let's move on to number two. This is actually huge news. If not for the PS5 news, this would have been the lead story. Oh, yeah. Publisher Take-Two Interactive, the owner of renowned studio Rockstar Games, revealed shocking news in a Securities and Exchange Commission form, indicating that it felt this news was big enough that it needed to officially let its shareholders know. The form reads in part, quote, After an extended break beginning in the spring of 2019, Dan Hauser, vice president creative at Rockstar Games, will be leaving the company. Dan Hauser's last day will be March 11th, 2020. We are extremely grateful for his contributions. Rockstar Games has built some of the most critically acclaimed and commercially successful game worlds, a global community of passionate fans and an incredibly talented team, which remains focused on current and future projects, end quote. Dan Hauser's exit from Rockstar Games is potentially catastrophic for the brand, a brand he co-founded with his brother Sam Hauser in 1998. Rockstar Games currently employs more than 2,000 people, making it one of the world's largest game studio families. It's unclear what Hauser will do next or what the exact nature of his exit is and whether it's voluntary or not. Sam Hauser wrote many games under the brand, including Grand Theft Auto 3, Grand Theft Auto Vice City, Grand Theft Auto San Andreas, Grand Theft Auto 4, Grand Theft Auto 5, Bully, Red Dead Redemption, and Red Dead Redemption 2. He acted as producer on multiple games, including Grand Theft Auto 3, Grand Theft Auto Vice City, Grand Theft Auto San Andreas, Red Dead Redemption, and Red Dead Redemption 2. Chris, what say you? That's uh, pretty wild. So he, he wrote all those. Yes. That's pretty big. That's a pretty big loss. Yeah, I don't know what this is all about. This is strange because he is a creative powerhouse and is one of the fundamental reasons that the studio is so renowned and well regarded because the stories that he tells and the characters that he creates, especially in the Red Dead games, but also the latter Grand Theft Auto games had a lot of personality too. long, long way from your Tommy Versetti's and whatnot. The games have certainly evolved. And it's uncle- it's interesting, first of all, that they created an SEC form because they felt like they this was like actually material knowledge to their investors, which is fascinating. That shows you that th- this about how serious they're taking this so that they're not sued later or anything like that from not, I guess, letting their investors know as soon as possible that he's gone. It doesn't strike me as voluntary, but I, I don't know if it is or not. And I don't know if he brought a lot of heat on them with Red Dead Redemption 2 in terms of the interviews he was giving. I know. Uh, But Red Dead Redemption 2 is sold extraordinarily well. And this is a huge loss for them. I I think they'll be fine without him. But I just think that creatively, they're certainly going to be lacking compared to what this guy can do. Now, he's a free agent. I wonder where he'll end up. That's what's most interesting. So he founded the studio with with his brother, right? Yep. And his brother is still there? 
Yeah, as far as I know, Sam Hauser is still there. I yeah. can't imagine. I don't know. That'd be weird if he just left and went to another company. I feel like it's more likely that he's just. I made a lot of money and I'm I'm retiring. <laughs> I feel yeah, like it could I, be. That definitely feels like the most likely, especially because if if I mean, look, man, the proof is in the pudding. When you look at Red Dead Redemption Two, you can tell that that game was fucking draining to work on. Like it just it's obvious to me playing that game that 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 that, that is a sink of uh of will. <laughs> Yeah. That uh so it wouldn't strike me as surprising if he just was like, Hey look man, I'm tapped out. I'm fucking I'm out with my millions. Yeah, I mean I wouldn't have probably stuck around to even make Red Dead Redemption two if I were him because he is so filthy rich that it, it, I feel like I know it's it's something that some people can do and some th- people can't, but when you reach a certain threshold of wealth, you have to have a real creative drive to keep going because there's no real material survival reason for you to even make anything else at that point. So it's it's yeah. interesting from that perspective because he kept going. Grand Theft Auto 3 made him a millionaire and then he still kept going and going and going. So it's really interesting that he's leaving. I know there's a lot of speculation about the what's and the why's and the and where he might end up or if he makes a new studio or if he, like Chris is saying he's retiring. But we'll see. Zachary Douglas wrote into us and said, hey, gents, what do you think the lasting effects of Dan Hauser leaving Rockstar might be? The Hauser brothers definitely had an effect in modern game development across the industry, and I fear this news can be the end of an era of superior Rockstar games. Keep up the great work. It's interesting, Chris, because I think that there could be another element to this, which is that Rockstar's future is not in storytelling. Right. If the success of Grand Theft Auto Online in particular is any indication, he might look at this and be like, well, there's really not a reason for me to be here. Uh, Red Dead Redemption 2 was a really, like Chris said, draining project that took forever to make. And it sold really well. And we're going to talk, I think, about its sales shortly. But it didn't sell like Grand Theft Auto sells. And so I I wonder if they look at this and they're like, well, there's no reason to have a storytelling genius here anymore because we're making these weird ass online multiplayer immersive games that are just constantly updated and iterated on and we not we might not make another game like Red Dead again. So I, I think that that could be something that might affect them as well. I, I don't know if that's true or not. I don't know. But I, I feel like that might have some some element of truth to it. And maybe we'll find out. I'm sure he'll give an interview at some point. Yeah. And we can learn more about it. But we'll find out. And then Anthony Gigi wrote into us, Chris. He said, hey, CNC, with Dan Hauser leaving Rockstar Games, do you think Grand Theft Auto 6 is going to be further out than we initially thought? He is credited as being one of the head writers on many Rockstar games, and I fear his retirement could have a substantial impact on the quality of the writing that Rockstar is known for. Should we fear for the worst, or do you think the team has learned enough over the years to continue without his leadership? Thanks and be gone, thoughts. Wow, that's aggressive. I don't know that we're going to get Grand Theft Auto 6 in the way that we want Grand Theft Auto 6. I just, I don't know. I just don't know if that, I know that they've said some different things about it and kind of alluded to it in the past, but I don't know if they want to do this anymore. I mean, Grand Theft, think about Grand Theft Auto 5, Chris. It came out in 2013, and it wasn't supported by... It had no DLC. Grand Theft Auto 4 had really well-regarded DLC that was arguably even better than the original game in The Lost and the Damned, and especially in The Ballad of Gay Tony, which was amazing. Yeah. And I feel like with this, with Grand Theft Auto 5 support being all online, and Grand Theft Auto 5 sold like, like gangbusters, but Grand Theft Auto Online is the real moneymaker and the breadwinner. I don't know that Grand Theft Auto 6 is even going to really happen, especially in the way we think. I just don't know that they look at it and are like, why would we do this? 
when we can make all of this money just doing something else now. So I don't know. I'll be really interested to see what happens with Grand Theft Auto 6 when it comes, when it, ha- you know, if it's even really in development. Yeah. And if it comes out within even a decade of when GTA 5 came out, I just don't know. I just don't know. Do you want a GTA 6 in the uh, in the style of the old games? Uh, yeah, I think I mean, I think that kind of game is incredibly appealing in general, especially as like the industry moves further and further away from, you know, single player models. And I know that like single player isn't dead. I know we, we still have like PlayStation, which is like pretty big powerhouse of single player games. We still have we still have them. But there's no question that if Rockstar Games is pursuing a future in specifically multiplayer kind of persistent worlds that just sort of passively make money, that's a pretty big hit, I think, especially because we just got Red Dead Redemption 2, which is, like, phenomenal. I would love a Grand Theft Auto 6 in the style that we used to get him, but I, I, I agree with you. I think it's more likely that if there is a Grand Theft Auto 6 of any kind, it would probably be just a massive update to Grand Theft Auto 5. I think that's most likely what you're going to see. Maybe like, oh, hey, here's a new city in Grand Theft Auto 5 for Grand Theft Auto Online, you know? Yeah, I, I just don't know like what is most important to them. Yeah. Take-Two is a publicly traded company. They also own the 2K label and others. And I, I don't know if they look at Red Dead Redemption 2. I mean, clearly they look at Red Dead Redemption 2 as a critical darling and it's a commercial smash hit. Again, we'll talk about the sales shortly, but it kind of comes up a little short against what their potential is with the Grand Theft Auto brand in its ubiquitous multiplayer mode. And the other, I guess, the other side of that kind of sword, the other blade or the other edge of the sword is Red Dead Redemption 2 is one of the very best selling games on PlayStation 4 overall. So they might look at that and be like, well, this is very much worth the investment. They they had like over a thousand people working on the game. It's a, That's a big team with a, a real, I mean, that's a unnecessarily large team to make a game. And so I don't know if they, and I'm not saying a thousand people, by the way, at the same time, thousand people over over time, which is still enormous for a standalone game, a single player game. And I don't know if they look at that and they're like, well, we can just extract more value by not doing this. We can extract a lot of value by doing this, but we can extract a lot more by not doing this. Yeah. And so I, I, I think they have to balance that and see what happens. But hopefully you're right that Red Dead Redemption 2 is kind of lit a fire under their ass. And they realize like, wow, there's really something here. This game sold really well. It's online component, as people will recall, was not even ready at launch. So it was a game that sold based on just being a single player game and people loved it. So we'll see how it all goes. But we wish Mr. Hauser the very best, obviously, in his future endeavors. I hope he's enjoying all of his money. Yeah. I sure would be. Number three. In 2015, Sony rather quietly expanded its roster of first-party studios with a British team known as Sony Manchester. Manchester's charge was to make PSVR games. Now, five years later, Sony has revealed that the studio has closed down without so much as releasing a game, calling into question not only the team's leadership and inability to ship, but what the future of PSVR might actually be, with Sony's seeming inability to support it internally in any robust fashion. There's little else to say about the studio's closure since we didn't even know what they might have been working on or what obviously went wrong there. But we wish all of those who lost their jobs the very best. This marks the seventh studio under Sony's umbrella to be to be closed down since 2009. Incognito, Zipper Interactive, Big Big, Evolution, Guerrilla Cambridge and Sony Liverpool are the other six. Notably, five of the seven closed studios were British, with the other two being American. Sony still has two remaining British first-party teams in Sony London and Media Molecule. Ironically, Sony London is the one team that's really supporting PSVR. 
Pete wrote in and said, hey, CNC, it's been a confusing week for PSVR. On one hand, the creative director behind the astounding Astrobot was promoted to the director of Sony Japan. On the other, Sony's VR-focused Manchester studio was shuttered, seemingly out of the blue based on recent job listings. I'm still bullish about the future of PSVR, but I'm curious to know what you guys think. Also, what direction do you think Sony sh or should Sony take in order to ensure great PSVR exclusives? Have some of their current first-party studios create a PSVR game, set up first-party studios dedicated to making PSVR games, or cultivate second-party relationships with current, well-known, independent VR studios? Keep up the great work. Enjoying the content. Chris, what do you make of this Manchester studio founded five years ago? No games released, that's, and then suddenly shuttered. What do you think? That's pretty wild. I mean, they gave them... They gave them less time than they gave Media Molecule. Yeah, they gave them very little time. Yeah, uh, compared to Media Molecule. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, man, I I I don't know. I, I I it must be just that they saw what was going on at the studio and they just didn't approve of what was happening, or maybe it was just like really poorly managed, or it, just nothing was arising of any real value. I haven't heard anything about the studio in years, like let alone like. Especially like no leaks, no rumors, nothing. So it, it stands to reason that not much was happening there to be really that concerned about. I, you know, obviously it sucks for that people lose their jobs, but I usually you hear something when a studio yeah. is working on anything. You're right. It's been very quiet out of Manchester. And I was always kind of a little puzzled by this studio to begin with because Sony seemed to have a propensity. Remember, Gorilla Cambridge's last game was Riggs which was a PSVR game, and then they closed them. And yeah. so to now Manchester was actually created before PSVR even came out. So they couldn't have possibly anticipated rigs, possibly poor commercial performance. But to give them so much time and then to just pull the plug on them with really nothing, they might have been working support in some capacity for other teams. We don't really know. So they might have been doing art or QA or something on other games. They might have even worked with Sony London on Blood and Truth, which was the most recent PSVR exclusive to come out of first party. But I think it's probably a mistake to make teams, and this goes to the question asked to us by Pete, I think it's a mistake to make teams that are totally in the camp of making games for a single platform because it seems to never work out for Sony teams that do this. Zipper or teams that are really all about one particular IP. But Big Big was a, a studio, and people might not even really know them, but Big Big made Pursuit Force on PSP. That's what they were known for. They only made PSP games, and then they made a Vita launch game called The Little Deviants, and they were closed down. Guerrilla Cambridge made Killzone Mercenary, a Vita game, and then Riggs, a PSVR game, and then were closed down. Sony Liverpool made a, PS, a PS3 and Vita game in, in their last Wipeout game, and then they were closed down. And Zipper Interactive's last game was also a Vita game. So I just look at those little canaries in the coal mine as it were and i just think it might have been a mistake from the get-go mm -hmm. for sony to have created a studio just with this charge i think the studio's charge needs to be make great games for the platforms that you think would make the most sense so with sony london they made a great psvr game in blood and truth and japan studio made astrobot which is widely considered maybe the best psvr game so they can support it with first party but to pete's question chris and i think this is obvious based on games like Iron Man being made by Camouflage and others, you got to farm this stuff out to second parties. I, I, I think that you have to just use your first parties at this point in time to make PS5 games. Yeah. And if if they can create a PSVR component, I think Dreams will have a PSVR component, Gran Turismo has a PSVR component, etc. Then you do that. And if they can come with you, to you with a compelling PSVR idea, 
then you also do that. But otherwise, I think you structure your teams to make triple A PS5 games. And you farm the VR stuff out to second parties who you pay. And then you don't have to have the overhead of owning them. Yeah. And you could still own their IP. Yeah. No, without a doubt. I think um, I think without a doubt, some of the best VR games are coming out of obviously the, the PC space. Like that's just obviously what's going to, what's going to happen. And with PSVR, it's like it's a cool attempt, but like I think you're going to yield the best results by like making deals with these teams and being like, hey, you know, you can bring your game over to this platform where a lot of people are getting into the cheapest VR platform available. You know, PSVR I think is the is the best selling VR unit of all time. I think I'm pretty sure. Yep. Yeah. So that's not an unappealing thing for a developer of a VR game who are they're already working on a a platform with limited reach as it is. So why not strike a deal with stress level zero or like, why not be like, Hey, yeah, let's put, you know, this amazing PSVR. uh, Let's put this amazing VR game on PlayStation and figure out how to make it work with the move controls, because this is going to put it in front of so many more people who don't have the funds to get a fucking valve index. I think that's the best way moving forward. And I think it shows in the fact that beat saber consistently sells a ton on uh, PS on PlayStation. Yeah, we're going to talk about that in a little while, too, uh, specifically about that game and its sales numbers. But yeah, I think you're right. And I think Sony's just got to be willing to support their hardware in a more robust fashion, but at the same time, do it in a way that supports the umbrella the most, which is obviously their console, their flagship console. So they're in between a rock and a hard place. This is what happened to Vita. And I don't know, on one hand, why you would make a piece of hardware and not have some sort of long-term support plan, whether internally or externally. So I think you're absolutely right. I think that you have to go to these other second party or their third parties, but you can make them in the second party agreements, just like they did with Quantic Dream for a long time and others, and say, listen, we have the money. And this provides a lot of financial security for the studios as well. Yeah. They would love Sony's money. They would love it. And so... Sony's just got to go around and support this thing. If they really believe in PSVR as much as they say they do, and they want to support the five or six million people that own one who buy games, then you got to go out and buy those games. And I just don't know that it was wise to just have a studio charged with making games only for what is literally one twenty-fifth or so of your player base. It's just not a wise move at all. And we'll see how it all shakes out. But yeah, our very best goes out to the Manchester employees that lost their jobs very suddenly, it seems. And hopefully they can rebound and take some of that expertise to maybe even some other Sony studios. Sony London will continue to support PSVR, I'm sure. And maybe they're maybe they'll absorb their game. Maybe we'll learn more about that in the future. Number four, Sony has revealed new PlayStation 4 sales figures that represent a marked slowdown in console sales, though the overall number of PS4 sold remains staggering. With 6.1 million PS4s sold during the 2019 holiday season, down a a full 2 million since 2018's holiday season, overall PS4 sales now stand at 108.9 million, a latent number since those figures are counted only through the end of 2019. Website Gamatsu relays word that there are now 38.8 million PS Plus subscribers and that 81.1 million PS4 games were sold between October and December of 2019, which is unsurprisingly down year over year. So Chris, 108.9 million. I said that PS4 would peter out about 120 or 125. I think I might be lowballing it. I think it might actually go higher than that. What would be really amazing is if they can extract 40 million more out of this thing, which I don't think they can. No. And and get it to PS2, which would be crazy. But I think, yeah, 125, 130 might be a reasonable number for yeah. PS4s. 
Yeah, I think so. We'll find out. That's a, that's a wild amount, especially with the knowledge that like, you know, it's going to be technically obsolete <laughs> super soon. Yeah, I think we'll see the the selling power of The Last of Us in some sort of finite way. Yeah. But other than that, I think that it's pretty much over for the PS4 in first world markets. I think PS4 can still sell in emerging markets in South and Central America, the Middle East, etc. As I've said many times, I think that this thing can live for a while longer, just like PS2 especially did. But I don't know what their plan is because I know that they eventually have to transition everyone over to PS5. And I think that their ideal would be to have PS5 as saleable and appealing to everyone in the world. But I know that in places like Brazil and in other nations, there are really onerous import tariffs that make new consoles especially expensive. You might remember that PS4 cost $2,000 when it launched <laughs> in Brazil because of the, the, uh, the import tariffs. So that's why old consoles are so popular there. But I think that they might get rid of that soon. I don't really know what their trade policy is going to be moving forward. I am not an expert in Brazil, but... It's just something to keep in mind that these old consoles might still live, but I think that it's more likely that the Xbox One will live a longer life since they are not going to make any Xbox Series X exclusives for 12 to 18 months after launch. Yeah. Okay. Number five. This just happened right before we started recording, so I had to delay our start time to get this into the, the document. Publisher Electronic Arts and developer BioWare have finally broken its silence concerning Anthem. It's a long-troubled online shooter that launched about a year ago. In a blog post on BioWare's website, BioWare's Casey Hudson posted the following in part, quote, Over the last year, the team has worked hard to improve stability, performance, and general quality of life while delivering three seasons of new content and features. We have also heard your feedback that Anthem needs a more satisfying loot experience, better long-term progression, and a more fulfilling endgame. So we recognize that there's still more fundamental work to be done to bring out the full potential of the experience, and it will require a more substantial reinvention than an update or expansion. Over the coming months, we will be focusing on a longer term redesign of the experience, specifically working to reinvent the core gameplay loop with clear goals, motivating challenges and progression with meaningful rewards while preserving the fun of flying and fighting in a vast science fantasy setting. And to do that properly, we'll be doing something we'd like to have done more the first time around, giving a focused team the time to test and iterate, focusing on gameplay first. In the meantime, we will continue to run the current version of Anthem, but move away from full seasons as the team works towards the future of Anthem. End quote. Anthem launched on February 22nd of last year and sold strongly, though it was almost immediately panned by a majority of the player base as being shallow and lacking any sort of stickiness. Chris, we're talking about Anthem again. What do you think about this from Casey I, Hudson? I just can't believe it. I, I don't know, man. I It's... I love stories. I love redemption arcs. I love when a game can come out and it's trash and it's just objectively terrible. And then the team just sort of, you know, gets their shit together and turns it into something worthwhile. This happens kind of often now. Uh, Battlefront 2, No Man's Sky, famously, Rainbow Six Siege. There's a ton of examples of this happening and it working out pretty well. But the difference is that a lot of those games, Rainbow Six Siege, um, you know, No Man's Sky, these are games that either had a solid foundation that felt at the very least like they were going in interesting directions, or at least in No Man's Sky's case, that it was an interesting premise that hadn't been done before, that, you know, it would be expected that they would, be ru- they would run into roadblocks. Anthem is a looter shooter. 
a third-person co-op-centric looter shooter with no PvP. It's another sci-fi third-person shooter. I don't know. Like, I just don't know what the reason is for for doubling down so hard on this particular game. Like, why didn't they fix Andromeda? Like, what? Like, <laughs> oh, like it, it's just so. I, I I don't know. I, I'm frustrated, honestly. That we're talking about this again. Me too. And I, I think it's fair to ask about Andromeda because they really did shit the bed with that game. And then and they abandoned it. They, they, they abandoned. They listen, guys, guys, they abandoned Mass Effect. And they're like doubling down. They're like, oh, wait, we got a real we got to really fix Anthem. We got to build it up from the ground. Like, what are you doing? I don't know. I, I, I it's frustrating because I really like Bioware and I like most of the things that they've put out. So just to see them double down on this game that I just don't think has any I don't want to say value because that sounds harsh but like I just I don't see the point in Anthem I really don't and I'm trying to I just can't yeah I don't know how to interpret this I mean that's the the thing that I'm really struggling with and I haven't had a lot of time to really mull over it because again this just happened before we started recording but I can only see it a few different ways Anthem actually did sell by volume pretty well I don't know if they were selling copies at full price for very long. I'm sure they weren't, but a lot of people bought Anthem. It was probably in the top 25 best selling games of 2019, maybe even the top 20. I'd have to go back and look, but a lot of people own it. So if I were giving EA and Bioware the benefit of the doubt, especially EA, I would say that they're saying, listen, we sold this game. A lot of people have it and we really need to fix it because to the, to the credit of Andromeda, it didn't sell well. It was immediately panned. So they looked at they might have looked at the sales figures of that and been like, fuck it. We, there's really no reason to do anything with this anyway. Plus, our real Bioware team didn't even make it. So they probably didn't want to fix it anyway. So I can if I wanted to give EA and Bioware the benefit of the doubt and look at this positively, I can say, listen, they want to they want to fix the game because they sold a lot of copies. A lot of these copies are in people's hands. It's basically valueless on the used game market. So people are just going to hold on to it. And similar, like we said many times with the Hello Games arc. With No Man's Sky, maybe it lives again. People have the game. They put it in. We can find them again. We can sell DLC, whatever the case might be. But I really don't think it's that. I really feel like EA and Bioware, and again, this is just my first instinct. Maybe when I marinate on it a little more, I'll have a different opinion. But I feel like this is them just being stubborn. And I don't know why you would want to be stubborn. Like when you're saying, Chris, Bioware has the ability to make fantastic games in their wheelhouse. They don't make looter shooter games. This is not what they make. They make single player role playing games. That is their specialty. It has been their specialty for a very long time. That is why anyone cares about Bioware, whether you're talking about KOTOR or you're talking about Jade Empire or you're talking about obviously Mass Effect or Dragon Age. And we know that they're going to go back to Mass Effect at some point. And we also know for sure that they're going to make Dragon Age 4. So I just don't understand why you don't just pivot. You admit that you lost because here's the problem. And you brought this up and this is a really great point. This isn't a single player game. So even fixing it, even if you make Anthem great again, make make Anthem great again, that's MAGA. (laughs) (laughs) Even if you do that, it requires lots of different people to be on board for it to work. So in other words, you're not making a game just for single player. Like you can play No Man's Sky with other people, but No Man's Sky is fully playable by yourself. Now you can play Anthem by yourself if you want, but it's not really made for that. And so I guess the point I'm trying to make is if you make Anthem better, you're still going to have to have buy-in from lots of different people for it to work and be satisfying. 
you're not going to be able to just get some people on board again and have a a game that's of a high quality and has the necessary stickiness of games in the genre. It's yeah. too competitive. You should just abandon it. There are people that do this better. There are publishers that do this better than EA. And there are developers that definitely do this better than Bioware. And so I don't even know why you would bother from that point of view when you're dealing with Destiny and The Division and all these games and publishers and moneyed interests that are going to fucking stomp you out just like they already did once. That's the biggest problem. Everyone, I predicted that Anthem was going to fail. It wasn't really that bold of a prediction because I knew it was going to happen. It, there was something obviously wrong with it. Yeah. And we knew this when they were just not talking about it and they were not showing anything from it. And then we read that really extensive Kotaku piece, which we talked about on our show about how the, and it's so weird. Casey says in his write-up in part, giving a, we're going to do something we should have done the first time around, giving a focus team the time to test and iterate, focusing on gameplay first. The fuck were you doing? <laughs> now, I know Casey wasn't there for a lot of this. He left and came back, but I don't understand how you can even admit something like that. That's so weird. Yeah. It's all weird to me. I don't know. I don't know. This is a weird one. It is really baffling that <laughs> that they just that implies that the first time around they didn't test or iterate. They just they made the fake gameplay demo for E3 and then they just did that over and over again until the game was done. I don't know how you would <laughs> I don't know. This is just a frustrating game to talk about because I just don't I just don't think it has any character, man. Like, at the very least with a lot of these games, there's, like, some sort of personality that, like, Rainbow Six is, like, a very recognizable kind of brand. And, like, a tactical shooter is a very, very underserved market. No Man's Sky is a very, like, ambitious project for a small team. You know, I, I, I don't see the personality in Anthem. And I think that's what's fr most frustrating about it is because I feel like there are, I feel like there are games that deserve this more that deserve to be visited and fixed more than Anthem that are just not. And it's, I don't know, it's infuriating. Yeah, it's annoying, especially with EA's recalcitrance and, and hesitance and just not supporting Andromeda, like you said, and not even porting Mass Effect to current gen consoles or yeah. doing anything with the old trilogy, which people actually want. This is what people want out of Bioware. Sometimes I think you just have to listen to the audience a little bit. And the audience spoke about Anthem. They spoke loud and clear. Now we see other publishers and developers supporting their long-term oh, multiplayer games. Fallout 76 is a good example with, with Bethesda Game Studios and with Bethesda as a publisher where the game's finally getting like NPCs, which is a bit <laughs> it's like, all right. So I don't know. I just don't know what the end result is. Obviously they want to make money, but I just don't know if they look at it and they can really realistically say that they can. I don't know if this is a face saving maneuver, it just that's what it feels like to me. It just feels like a, a studio trying to save a little face. Yeah. And I don't know if that's wise. I think you have to just understand lots of big teams have games that don't do well. It's not uncommon for that to happen. Sometimes you just have to eat it. You you ask your RPG team to make a looter shooter and it's didn't work out. I mean, that's what you get when yeah. you try to deviate and chase the easy dollar. And fake it, like, like Chris said, fake your way through development, basically, and get people excited. But anyone with two eyeballs and any knowledge of gaming and the gaming industry knew that this thing was fucked up. And yeah, Colin was right. What do you want from me? Yeah. But we wish them the best. I hope Anthem turns out great. I just don't know who's going to play it. And like Chris said, I think it's important to note this game doesn't have any character. It's a great way of putting it. It really doesn't. Like, what, what is so unique and interesting about Anthem? It, it's just... From an aesthetic point of view, from a storytelling point of view, how many of the same shit 
are we going to get over and over again that just looks the same? And I don't know. I agree with you there. It's a great point. Number six, Ubisoft has revealed its upcoming slate of games for the next two years, at least in terms of overall number of games planned. Five. IGN list, uh, listened in on their recent investor call in which Ubisoft CEO Yves Gilmont said in part that the company is, quote, very excited about the idea of releasing five new AAA games in 2020, 2021, end quote. As this was on a financial call, this range of years is in regard to Ubisoft's fiscal year, which ends at the end of March each year. Gilmont noted that three of the five games are coming out in the fall right around PlayStation 5's launch, and the two others will be out around this time next year. Interestingly and not surprisingly, the publisher confirmed that Beyond Good and Evil 2 won't be coming out in that window, but simple arithmetic shows us that four of the games are likely Rainbow Six Quarantine, Watch Dogs Legion, Gods and Monsters, and a likely new Assassin's Creed game, though none of that has been specifically reconfirmed. Neo JD wrote in and said, hey gang, what's going on with Ubisoft? Are they really going to release all those games so soon together at the end of the year in early 2021? The lack of spacing seems like a bad idea. I don't know if I agree. Chris, I think that they're going to try to get three launch games on PS5 and Xbox One. And I don't know if that's a bad idea or not. I think flooding the zone at launch is like the one time you want to do it. Yeah. Because everyone buys everything that's available. Like when you have when you have a launch game out, everyone buys them. Everyone buys your launch game. That's yeah. why that you're, you have a really good chance of doing well. But what do you think about this? Seems like they're going to release five of their AAA games in a five month period. I, t- no, I, I totally agree. I think this is like the one exception where that's actually not a bad idea. And especially because they've had a lot of time now because they've delayed these games. Uh, I feel like these games could potentially be really, really good also. Like there's a pretty good chance that these games are really, really polished and really, really fleshed out and actually not not indicative of what we see with most launch titles. <laughs> it's actually a very unique kind of circumstance. And I think you want it. You definitely want to select the titles very carefully. Ideally, you don't want to put Watch Dogs and Assassin's Creed out at the same time, I think, because they are both third person, you know, kind of action games. Ideally, you would want to pair something like Rainbow Six Quarantine or, you know, like Rainbow Six with with the new Assassin's Creed or or Rainbow Six with Watch Dogs around this around the same time to ensure that you're not kind of cannibalizing your own audience, because I don't think there's anybody who's particularly like an Ubisoft head who's like, oh, man, I can't wait for the next Ubisoft game. Chances are they're more franchise specific. There are people who are really dedicated to Rainbow Six. There are people who are really excited about Assassin's Creed. But, you know, the likely overlap between those two isn't really likely as high as Watch Dogs and Assassin's Creed. So you definitely want to position it very carefully. Definitely. And they might also know what we don't know. We, we assume the consoles are going to come out in November, but it's possible the console might even come out in October. Mm-hmm. If that's the case, then theoretically, you could have one or two launch games and then the next month release another game yeah. and then get your other two games out in February or March. So remember, Ubisoft has been pretty quiet for a while because of these delays that Chris brought up. Watch Dogs Legion was a really notable delay. It was supposed to be out pretty imminently, actually, originally from when we were recording and putting this up. We haven't had the new Assassin's Creed game announced, but it seems like it's a Norse game or a Viking game, and it's probably going to be revealed at E3, you would assume. So they might know something. Well, they certainly know when the the unit's coming out. And so they might look at it and say, like, we have been quiet. Our investors are hungry. We haven't had a lot of revenue from new games because we haven't released any. So we have no choice but to flood the zone because we actually have to get these games out before we have to report fiscal results in March of next year. So there really is a simple business reason why, why this might be happening as well. And they probably can't kick the can down the road anymore if they want to make money on some of these games. So let's say the console comes out in late October. 
you get a game out like Watch Dogs Legion at launch. You get Rainbow Six Quarantine out and Assassin's Creed out in November. And then you can get something like Gods and Monsters out in February and whatever the unknown game is. Again, we're assuming that these are the four of the five games. And Jacob Klusterhouse wrote in about what that fifth game can be. And I think he's right. He says, hey, Colin and Chris, Ubisoft just confirmed five AAA games for release before April 2021. It's safe to assume one of them is going to be Far Cry 6. I love Far Cry 5 and New Dawn, but I don't want another American setting. Where would you like to see the franchise go? Maybe Russia, Australia, or a fictional country or island? Love the show. Keep making Tuesdays and Thursdays and Fridays great again. We will continue to do that, Jacob. I think you're right. I think Far Cry is probably one of these games. And Far Cry 5 came out in the spring of 2018. So it's been a decent amount of time. New Dawn came out a little later, obviously. It was a a brief spinoff in the same world. Chris, where would you like to see a Far Cry game take place? I love the idea of an Australian outback oh yeah kind of game i am a little sick of the fantasy island setting and also the american setting is now done we did the prehistoric thing where would you like to see it yeah i think uh australia would be cool i would love to murder some kangaroos (laughs) i feel like i I feel like there aren't really a lot of games where you can even do that at all i I can't think of a single one actually (laughs) i don't even mean to make this this it's not supposed to be off color but i wonder (laughs) It would be kind of unfortunate for them if they were making this game and you could do shit like that where you can murder, murder like koalas and kangaroos and then with the fires oh, yeah. that wreaked havoc. It's like a motor storm apocalypse situation, right? In Japan, oh, yeah, where maybe. Like, oh, we, can, we can't even release this game now. <laughs> but that would be really cool. I am, I am sick of American settings generally. So I would love to see it take place somewhere else. And I think it will. I don't think they're going to come back and yeah. do the Montana thing again. But yeah, Far Cry 6, I think, is a reasonable guess. Jacob, yeah. I think you might be right. And... If that's the case, then you have, let's see, let's go back and look at this list. You have your weird new IP in Gods and Monsters. You have a Watch Dogs game, which is a familiar game. You have Rainbow Six, which everyone knows. You have an Assassin's Creed game, and then you have Far Cry. So you have your FPS. Yeah. So I think that they touch all the bases, and that's going to be a big time for Ubisoft. And it's possible all those games are eight pluses on Metacritic and sell really well. And again, launch window games just sell like crazy. The fact that it's a launch window is the really ideal part of this because people are just hungry to use their new machines for shit so they'll a lot of people will just buy shit that they don't even really want (laughs) just to get value out of their new machine that they've just purchased but i also think this could be a detriment because all these games are going to come out at the same time and then what are they going to do for the next three years yeah that's true that's the other thing that they have to really consider is okay when is it's not like a sony situation where like you kind of have a staggered kind of like okay Naughty Dog goes, and then Insomniac goes, and then uh, Santa Monica goes. It's like everyone's going at once, which is like the one time it's acceptable to do that. But at the same time, you have you still have a future (laughs) to consider. So, yeah, you're right, because they're they're a lot of their teams will be going at this time. And we're assuming, of course, the fall release dates. It's possible that maybe one of these games comes out in the summer or something. I just don't. I don't know about that. I think the bigger problem that they might run into, Chris, is that these might all be cross generation games. So I don't know. I mean, they're all I I don't want to say all, but games like let me scroll back up here. Watch Dogs Legion was ostensibly a PS4 game. So I assume it still is. And Quarantine, I think, was supposed to be a last gen or a current gen game too. the Assassin's Creed game. I imagine will be a cross gen game just like they did with Assassin's Creed in 2013. Yeah, that was Black Flag. I think they did that with. So 
that's another issue of flooding the zone where it might not make a lot of sense. What would be kind of cool, and this might allow them to do this, this might be the piece of the, the component of the puzzle, Chris, we're missing, is that some of these games might be last gen or current gen only. Some of these games might be next gen only. And then they might have a cross gen game like Assassin's Creed. So that would be. So in other words, Watch Dogs Legion might be a PS4 game. Something like Rainbow Six Quarantine might be moved to PS5 only. And then they have something like Assassin's Creed Norse, whatever they're going to call it that comes out and satiates both generations. So maybe they're playing it like that. They're not stupid. I just, I agree with you. It seems a little weird unless they just have a whole host of games ready to go for 2021, 2022 and so on that we just don't know about yet. Cause there are a few IP floating out there mm-hmm. that are not ready, including the, the internally in development hell beyond good and evil too. Yeah. It would be nice to see another rain man too. Although I'm not holding that would breath. be nice that, I'd also like to see a rain man based on the 1989 <laughs> Tom Cruise and Dustin Hoffman movie. My God. Number seven, Japanese developer Platinum Games appears eager to publish future iterations of its popular Bayonetta series on its own without the help of an outside investor. You'll recall that the original Bayonetta, which launched on PS3 and Xbox 360 in 2009, did so by way of publisher Sega. And since then, Platinum has gotten really cozy with Nintendo, launching both 2014's Bayonetta 2 and the future Bayonetta 3 with Nintendo's help, though the team also made a couple of Star Fox games and some others, too. But if there is to be a Bayonetta 4, Platinum wants to put it out itself and on its own terms, according to website Push Square, which relays word of an interview from IGN Japan with the studio's producer at, uh, at, Shu- at Sushi, I'm sorry, Anaba. This news comes on the back of the additional word that another Platinum created Nintendo published game, Astral Chain, may also one day migrate away from Nintendo. Push Square notes that Nintendo and Platinum each own exactly half of the IP, but that the publishing rights to the original are squarely with Nintendo. Then again, this was also the case with the Wonderful 101, which Nintendo both funded and published, but which is coming to PlayStation 4 in late 2020. It's important to note that going fully independent has been Platinum's design for a while, and that it secured an undisclosed investment from Chinese mega firm Tencent just last month in order to pursue its self-publishing business. So this being news was a little surprising to me. People's memories are really short because they just announced last month that they wanted to get an investment to publish their own games. Yeah. So obviously they want Bayonetta back and uh, that's their biggest IP. And so it's they're watching Sega release the original Bayonetta and Vanquish without them. And now they're in with Nintendo with Astral Chain and with Bayonetta 2 and 3. And they're looking at it and they're like, wait, our future is in retaining our IP. It's the same thing with Nier Automata. Great game people really loved, but Square Enix owns that. They they realize that their future and holding their own cards is is the wisest move. And if the Kickstarter reaction for the wonderful 101 is any indication, they could probably do that for every game. Yeah. And and find some sort of player base to, to seed it. So good luck to them. I like Platinum. Yeah. I think they're great. Number eight. Like Ubisoft, Activision also had a financial call that IGN listened in on, and they too revealed some information about their upcoming portfolio of games. Perhaps most interesting for the audience of this show is that CFO Dennis Durkin said in part that Activision Blizzard, quote, will continue to tap into our portfolio of beloved IP to bring several remastered and reimagined experiences to our players in 2020, which which will announce closer to launch, end quote. With, bro- with both Crash Bandicoot and Spyro receiving critically and commercially successful remake compilation trilogies in 2017 and 2018, respectively, followed by a well-received remake of Crash Team Racing in 2019, it stands to reason that Activision will be delving into some of their other big dormant IP, with Tony Hawk's Pro Skater likely being at the top of the list, though nothing has been confirmed. 
Activision also confirmed its annual Call of Duty release for fall of 2020 and that it's already being playtested. For years now, three studios have been taking turns going every third year on Call of Duty. Infinity Ward went in 2019, Treyarch in 2018, and Sledgehammer Games in 2017. However, it doesn't seem likely that Sledgehammer is leading 2020's Call of Duty. Rumor has it that Treyarch is going next with help from none other than longtime Call of Duty support team Raven. So a lot of Activision news there. Yeah. Would you like to see uh, Tony Hawk make a comeback? The old Tony Hawk games? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I feel like that's a very 90s kind of property. It's not It's not quite like Spyro or Crash or Medieval in the sense that, you know, those are old 90s style games as far as their design. But like Tony Hawk is like, I, I don't know if skating is as big as it used to be. I don't know if... You know, that soundtrack is as, you know, resonant as it would be now. I don't know if, I, I don't know if, I, I really don't know if that magic can be captured again. It, it it really did seem like a right place, right time, you know, right culture kind of thing uh, with Tony Hawk. Yeah, when, when Pro Skater came out in 1999, I was all about it. And the, the culture then was really different. You're right. And I think Pro Skater 2 is considered the high point for a lot of people yeah. of the franchise, as I recall. I think the biggest problem with this, Activision has all sorts of money, so they can figure it out, but is the the, the soundtracks and also the skaters themselves. I don't know what the licensing agreements were with them, so I'm not even sure if they can do it. Like I, I think that it's something they're probably investigating and it might be in the cards. Maybe that's one of the things they're planning, but they have to go and get all of the licenses for the songs again. They have to go talk to all of these skaters again. Some of them are retired now. The only reason I know anything about skating is my brother, Dagan, was and is a huge skatehead. He has been since the 80s. He's really, really into it. And so I was familiar with that that scene and all of that. It's it's like a dichotomy, as, as Dagan often talks about, about how like skateboarding is now an Olympic sport. But it doesn't seem like it's really like you don't see as many kids skating around. I did in Santa Monica just because it's Santa Monica. But generally speaking, it just seems like it's not as big anymore back in the day of the magazines and the and skate tapes and all that kind of stuff that were like skate tapes were actually a collectible as people might recall in Tony Hawk's yeah. Pro Skater. It's a totally different era. So I don't know. I, don't, I think it would be a nice piece of nostalgia, but I will say this, that I was totally wrong about how well Crash would do. And so I'm not going to make any bearish prediction about Tony Hawk Pro Skater because if they release it, it'll probably sell like 10 million copies. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I think um, I think it played really well. Like, I, I missed Tony Hawk Pro Skater 2 is the one that I played a lot. I think you could cheat Spider-Man into that game. Or maybe that was, that was like, Tony Hawk Pro Skater 3. I think, yeah, you could get, like, the Neversoft Spider-Man model in that game, right. I yeah, think, yeah. if I remember correctly. And, like, there were a bunch yeah, of, like, weird, weird, there were a bunch of weird characters that you can get. I think, I would, I would like to see that. I just very highly doubt, due to all the licensing, due to the fact that it is such a dated thing. I don't know if they'll look at that as a worthwhile investment unless they have some way to make that game very cheaply, which with the licenses involved is kind of unlikely. Yeah, it's also worth noting that I believe I can't remember too much about it, but they did release like a new Tony Hawk game like digitally, didn't they? Like a few years ago that like no one liked. Pro Skater like 5. Some, yeah, it was terrible. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I don't know. But that also was just objectively like a bad game. Like that that just didn't play like the old games at all. It was it, it was actually just bad. So, you know, that's that might not be just the IP. I think people were actually pretty excited about it, but turned out really, really shit. 
yeah, so they, they kind of shit the bed there with that a little bit, maybe kind of reducing what, what would be more excitement for the possibility of a, a Tony Hawk collection. I think the p- thing people are missing, though, Chris, and I was missing this until I thought about it last night. One of the collections they could be talking about is Call of Duty. They did go back and do remastered versions of like Call of Duty Classic and all that kind of stuff and obviously Modern Warfare. But I just look at their old Call of Duty games and I'm like, there is a possibility here that they can compile and like remaster at least a handful of their oldest Call of Duty games from two generations ago and maybe release those again. And maybe there's some quality to be had there. There's also some like random ass Call of Duty games that are just stranded on other platforms. So they might look at Call of Duty or something. Because I was thinking, like, what are the IP? They were talking about their beloved IP. It's like, what beloved IP? Like, Cra- Crash Bandicoot and Spyro were done. You already did that. Tony Hawk's in the air, I guess. And then you have Call of Duty. Like, I can't think of anything Yeah, that Activision has done. They could also be talking about new games that are, you know, reimagined experiences seems to imply not like a straight-up remaster. This could, You could see, like, maybe a reimagining of some of the Crash games that happened after the PS1 era that weren't too super well received, but maybe like with with a decent amount of knowledge that those teams have working on the original games, maybe they could turn it into something that's a bit more classic and a bit more vibing with the uh, general tone of the IP. That's also possible. I don't. I, I do agree. Like I think I think Call of Duty is probably the the original Call of Duty trilogy is actually super good. Like uh, one through three are pretty pretty cool games. Like, it would be cool to see those with a modern. Even even if they didn't even put a fresh coat of paint on, even if they just upresed it, it'd be it'd be kind of cool to play those again. I'm looking at some of the, like they have they have nothing. Like I guess <laughs> they had like Destiny, but yeah, they did, and they they had some other stuff too. Like they had X Men, they had Quake and Doom and Wolfenstein for a while. They, you know, maybe Prototype. I know you like Prototype. <laughs> I like it. I don't love prototype. If they if they announce a prototype remastered, I'd be t- super confused. Yeah, that that wouldn't that wouldn't really vibe with me. They do have Soldier of Fortune, which I actually did like back in the day. Uh, yeah, I don't. Uh, there's really not a lot here. I mean, I'm looking. Yeah, they don't. I mean, a lot of this stuff also is just like third or uh, like license IP as well. So I don't know what the fuck they're talking about. Like, I I literally don't know what they're t- what they could possibly yeah, be talking about. When they're talking about remastering games, they just don't have that many IP. Like if if they were in a stall, they definitely could not afford to spare a square. I think. I think it's. Oh, definitely uh, not. I think they're pre- they gotta they gotta work with what they got, and it's not not quite as much as it used to be. <laughs> yeah, like th- they did publish the Mech Warrior games in the nineties. I don't know, man. I don't think so. I don't. Th- I think they're lying. <laughs> I don't think they have any. Be- I don't think they have any more beloved IP. All right, number nine. A few other publishers also discussed financial results, according to website Silicon Era, one announcing great success, the other announcing some disappointment. Capcom, for starters, revealed a 37.1% year-over-year increase in operating profit, with net earnings up a staggering 42.3%. Sales figures actually sold during this time period compared to last. I'm sorry. Sales figures actually slowed during this time period compared to last. But digital sales are up, and publishers make more money when they don't have to print discs. Split costs with retailers and other issues. Monster Hunter World Iceborne is at 500,000 units sold, with the core Monster Hunter World game at 15 million. Resident Evil 2 Remake has surpassed 5 million units sold. On the other end of the spectrum is Sega, which admitted its results were below its expectations, even on the back of Persona 5 The Royal launching in Japan, along with a slew of Yakuza games new and re-released. 
Profits are down 43% year over year with about 7 million units sold of newly released games and a tad over 12 million additional games sold from its back catalog. Don't worry, Chris, Sega is going to release that Vanquish game in a, in a week or two and sell 25 million copies of it. Oh, yeah, be just fine. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, we were talking earlier about Take Two. So number 10, publisher Take Two has revealed updated sales figures for some of its biggest games of the last year or so. For starters, late 2018's Red Dead Redemption 2, developed by Rockstar Games, has surpassed 29 million units sold. FPS RPG Borderlands 3, which launched in mid-September of 2019, has surpassed 8 million units sold, being published under Take-Two's 2K Games brand. And finally, open-world RPG The Outer Worlds, which Chris is currently playing again, developed by now Microsoft-owned Obsidian Entertainment, has surpassed 2 million units sold since launching in late October. The game was published by Private Division, a small imprint owned by Take-Two. Now, I gotta say, 2 million units of The Outer Worlds seems soft to me. I don't know what their expectations were, but that seems really soft for a game that was supposed to be a, a big fallout game. Everyone says they love Obsidian. Well, it doesn't really show. I don't mm, know. That makes a lot of sense to me because it was also on Game Pass. Mm, good point. That's which, a is, point. which is how I played it. Like I didn't I didn't buy the Outer Worlds. That's a very fair point. I forgot about that at launch. Right. So that yeah. does make a lot of sense. Never mind. <laughs> Not as soft as it seems. <laughs> but dude, man, Red Dead Redemption 2 selling 29 million units is staggering. That's actually wild because that means that <laughs> that is what that's three Spider-Mans. How many like yeah. how many that's that's wild. Yeah, I, think, I don't know. I think Spider-Man people keep telling me I haven't looked in a while. I think Spider-Man's updated. That might be like two and a no, half. No, it's God of War. God of War was 10 million. God of War. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, that is crazy. Yeah. For a single player cowboy game like what? <laughs> yeah, it's it's pretty awesome. But again, we were talking earlier. I don't know if Rockstar is like or I don't know if Take Two is like, eh. That's great, but like, yeah, we can make more making an online cowboy game. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll see. There's still <laughs> nothing to sneeze at 29 mil. I'm sure everyone's really glad they crunched on that game now that they got their bonus checks, as I said, they would. Yeah. Number 11, PlayStation 4 exclusive Neo, which launched in early 2017, is officially a commercial hit. Publisher Koei Tecmo revealed that the game has surpassed 3 million units sold, a major success for the niche company. This would make it one of the devel of developer Team Ninja's most successful games, and the studio intends on doing more for PlayStation 5 as well. Gamatsu relays word of an interview with Team Ninja's studio lead, Yusuke Hayashi, in which he said, quote, I believe that a new console will bring new opportunities, and we would like to create a new game, a new intellectual property for PlayStation 5. We created the Neo series for PS4, and we would like to do the same for PS5, end quote. Neo's sequel, Neo 2, is right around the corner and is coming exclusively to PlayStation 4 on March 13th. So congratulations to them for very strong sales. Team Ninja. I know Chris loves that name. They are stuck with that name now forever. <laughs> now, Chris, this one just broke, by the way, before we started recording, too. And I was surprised by this. I don't know how you're going to feel about this, but mm -hmm. number 12, it appears the eagerly anticipated System Shock 3 is in serious trouble if a report from Video Games Chronicle is any indication. The general gist is this. Developer Other Side seems to have run out of money. A cascade which began when Swedish dev slash publisher Starbreeze experienced financial trouble of its own. Starbreeze was funding System Shock 3 and was acting as publisher, but sold the rights to the game back to Other Side in 2019. Other Side is Warren Spector's Boston-based team that's making the game. Warren Spector, of course, being a renowned game dev who worked on the original System Shock, as well as the Ultima, Wing Commander, and Thief series, as well as the briefly popular Epic Mickey games. 
Video Game Chronicle notes that an anonymous developer on the other side team, whose identity has been confirmed behind the scenes, notes that the entire team has been let go. It had been publicly known that as of late 2019, the game's director and writer, senior designer, lead programmer, and others had already left the project. And word about the game being made was that it, it simply couldn't and wouldn't live up to fans' lofty expectations. The game was actually shown off at GDC uh, in March of 2019, but it appears to be turning into vaporware at the current moment, with the team unable to secure a publisher or further funding. System Shock 3 was supposed to be the follow-up to the beloved 1994 FPS RPG System Shock and its 1999 sequel, System Shock 2. Both games are precursors to the ultra-popular Bioshock franchise. It's important to note that the remake of the original System Shock, being created by Night Dive Studios, is still in development and is still on pace to come to PS4 this year. What do you think of this? This is a big surprise. Warren Spector cannot secure the funds. To finish the game. Yeah, I mean, I, I'll be real. I didn't know this was even happening. Oh. I like System Shock, and I didn't know that they were making a third one at all. Like, it never once came on my feed uh, or showed up in front of me in any meaningful way. Like, this is all news to me. It's interesting, Chris, because there hasn't been a lot about it. I was trying to do some research and read a little bit about it before we did the show. And what they were saying about it, I guess what developing development sources were saying was that they were they were not able that people were, would have high expectations for System Shock 3. It's been 21 years since System Shock 2. Bioshock has set this whole bar for what we expect out of these FPS kind of RPG single player experiences. And even though they're obviously very different games in their own right, of course. But I guess what they were saying was that, that since they are a small team, they were investing in I guess a smaller game that simply didn't have the size and scope that people would have expected. And by the time they realized, I guess that this wasn't going to work out for them, they were out of money and out of resources. And then the whole Starbreeze thing happened. Starbreeze is obviously in a lot of financial trouble in Sweden. It remains to be seen um, if this game will be revived or not. But I know a lot of people are really disappointed about it. But I did want to just note that the System Shock remake that a lot of people are really excited about, totally unrelated to this, unaffiliated and unhindered by any financial or publishing problems. So it's still due to come out. It might even come out somewhat imminently. It still has a Q1 release date. I doubt that they're going to hit that, but we will see what happens to System Shock 3, but RIP, probably. Yeah. Number 13, Sony has revealed the most downloaded games on PlayStation Network for last month, January 2020. PS4's top 20 most downloaded games for the month were in order. Grand Theft Auto 5, Call of Duty Modern Warfare, Dragon Ball Z Kakarot, The Witcher 3 Wild Hunt, Star Wars Battlefront 2, Madden NFL 20, Minecraft, EA Sports UFC 3, Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order, Payday 2, NBA 2K20, God of War, Need for Speed Heat, Rainbow Six Siege, Red Dead Redemption 2, Rocket League, Resident Evil 2 Remake, The Elder Scrolls 5, uh, which is Skyrim, Need for Speed Payback, and Spider-Man. PSVR's top 10 most downloaded games were in order. Beat Saber, Super Hot VR, Job Simulator, Arizona Sunshine, Surgeon Simulator, Creed Rise to Glory, Doom VFR, Skyrim VR, Vacation Simulator, and Drunken Bar Fight. The month's top 10 most downloaded free-to-play games were in order. Fortnite, Darwin Project, Cuisine Royale, Apex Legends, Brawlhalla, Dauntless, Warframe, Paladins, DC Universe Online, and H1Z1 Battle Royale. Fortnite and Kingdom Hearts dominated the DLC and expansions chart. And Chris, speaking of Kingdom Hearts, number 14, uh, 
Here we go! Kingdom Hearts is getting a massive all-in-one physical release on PlayStation 4 that will essentially give players the opportunity to enjoy every Kingdom Hearts game ever released in one package. It's literally called Kingdom Hearts All-in-One Package, and it's coming to PlayStation 4 on March 17th for a shockingly affordable price, $49.99 or your local equivalent. The games included are Kingdom Hearts Final Mix, RE Chain of Memories, 358 over two days, uh, Kingdom Hearts 2 Final Mix, Birth by Sleep Final Mix, Recoded, 1.5 Remix, 2.5 Remix, 2.8 Final Chapter Prologue, Dream Drop Distance, 0.2 Birth by Sleep, and Kingdom Hearts 3. I don't know if I said any of those right, uh, but we'll see. I'm did. sure we'll find you, out. You did. Okay. You did. I remember them. Horrible <laughs> names. Horrible names. 358 over two days. Yeah. Great. That's really great. Thanks for that. <laughs> I mean, why wouldn't they 358 over two days? Wouldn't they just call it whatever? Why wouldn't they just do the division? No, no, I, you, I can't do you don't. The fact that you're already questioning the title is already <laughs> an exercise in patience that you cannot afford to engage in. Oh, man, I can't wait for them to keep releasing these fucking Kingdom Hearts games. I'm they're happy. I mean, Kingdom Hearts is is entering. A, I don't want to say a resurgence, but Kingdom Hearts 3 was big. So yeah. I guess they're just get, getting in on it. And that's, hey, I don't want to make fun of all of it. $49.99 is a great price. That's oh, a yeah. really great price. Not yeah, bad sure. at all. That's a great deal. All. If you want to just <laughs> spend your life playing those games, you can do so for $49.99. Number 15, a wrap up. The PlayStation blog reports that Overcooked Like Moving Game, Moving Out, is coming to PS4 on April 28th. People should go look this game up. It looks really funny. Yeah. <laughs> There's, it, 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 did you see Did you see uh, the trailer for this? Yeah, I love it. Yeah, it looks really funny. Publisher Bandai Namco revealed that its action RPG Code Vein has surpassed 1 million copies sold in less than six months on the market. The leaked Double Dragon slash River City Ransom collection that we talked about last week is indeed real and is coming to PS4 in the West on February 20th in the form of the Double Dragon and Kunio Kun Retro Brawler Bundle, which includes 18 individual retro games from the 80s and 90s. Website Push Square reports that horror game Someday You'll Return is coming to PS4 at some point in 2020, that Space Channel 5 VR is coming to PSVR on February 25th, and that surprisingly popular Power Rangers fighting game Battle for the Grid is getting cross-play support between all platforms, including PS4. The website also reports that the fairy tale RPG due to come out in P on PS4 on March 19th has been delayed until June 26th. Website Gamatsu reports that action game Bloodroots is coming to PS4 on February 28th, Capybara Games has revealed that its action-adventure game Below, which came to Xbox One and PC back in 2018, will be migrating over to PlayStation 4 sometime this year. And finally, THQ Nordic has revealed the creation of a new studio under its extensive umbrella. It's called Nine Rock Games. It will run out of Slovakia and will be creating what is de uh, described as a shooter survival game. So welcome to the fold, Nine Rock Games. Okay. Chris, that is all of the news. Finally, it is time to talk about the games that are coming out to PS4, PS Vita, and PSVR this week. As tradition dictates, you will go first. All righty, here we go. AO Tennis 2 comes to PS4. AO Tennis 2 is the only tennis, tennis experience designed for and by its community. Create your own players, stadiums, and legendary matches. Enter the competition to reach the top of world tennis in career mode. Azure Lane Crosswave comes to PS4. In the middle of each nation's normal training routine, a joint military exercise was enacted. A select few from each nation were chosen to participate in this rigorous event. But how did this event come to be? Are there other ulterior motives at play? I suspect so. I suspect so. 
All right, Darksiders Genesis comes to PS4. Darksiders Genesis tears its way through hell and back with guns blazing and swords swinging. Genesis gives a first look at the world of Darksiders before the events of the original game. Furthermore, it introduces the fourth and last horseman, Strife, as well as co-op gameplay for the first time in the, in the history of the franchise. Dreams <laughs> comes to PS4. It's real. If you can dream it, you can play it. Explore and play in an ever-expanding Dreamiverse, bursting with games, music, art, and everything in between and beyond. Learn how to design your own games, animate, make music, and more with easy-to-follow tutorial videos, and then share your ideas in an online social network of creativity. Remember, if you bought the early access copy of the game, you get it for free. Good. Oh, I should I should see if it's changed, because I think I, I have dreams. You do have dreams, don't yeah, you? Yeah, I do. So I, I should check it out. <laughs> Double entendre. Nice. Thank you. Glass Masquerade 2 Illusions comes to PS4. Glass Masquerade 2 Illusions. God, just once. Every single every single game I've read so far has said the name of the damn title in the in the write-up. <laughs> Glass Masquerade 2 Illusions is a dreamlike collection of artistic jigsaw puzzles to piece together at your own relaxed pace. Dive into the rabbit hole of the abstract and the fantastical. Putting together uh, stained glass fragments uh, to solve dreams and riddles enjoy baroque <laughs> depictions of 20th century imagination and puzzles more intricate and complex than the original all right hidden comes to ps4 trapped in a mental asylum for the criminally insane <laughs> <laughs> the only way to survive is to find the three keys to escape without being killed by other inmates you have a flashlight <laughs> but <laughs> but turning it on at the wrong time will attract the other inmates, so use it wisely. Will you get out and will you get out and to tell your story? Or will you become one of them? That's what it says. Will you get out and to tell your story? That sounds kind of cool. I like the idea of like light triggering like uh fights. I finally got the the, <laughs> the mental asylum write up yeah. this week. <laughs> the disturbed one. Where am I? Uh Mosaic comes to PS4. You live in a monstrous and repetitive lonely life. <laughs> in a cold overpopulated ever expanding city mo moving through anonymous crowds on your way to another long day at a mega corporation you have no real sense of meaning until one <laughs> we got two in a row until one crucial day when strange things start to happen on your commute to work and everything changes that kind of sounds neat even if it is dire <laughs> it is very dire yeah Power Rumi comes to PS4. Rock, paper, scissors with lasers. Avenge the people of Earth in this exciting neo-Aztec shoot-em-up. You know what the fuck that means. Power Rumi is a modern shoot-em-up set in a retro-futuristic sci-fi pre-Columbian universe. <laughs> <laughs> Take control of the almighty ship Chukaru and its three unique weapons. Retro-futuristic sci-fi pre-Columbian universe. There's got to be a better way to describe that. Yeah, Gotta probably. Be. There's probably a couple ways. Uh, <laughs> oh Project St <laughs> Project Starship comes to PS4. Take the role of Garrett or Gwen, pilots charged with saving their world from an ancient evil. Evade, adapt, and survive randomly generated uh, challenges. Randomly generated environments just seems like an automatic fill for me. Randomly generated challenges that are never the same twice. Take down gods and demons alike in unpredictable bullet hell shoot up shoot 'em up action. And dive deeper to confront the hidden eye that watches over all. Oh, no. Holy Jesus Christ. All right. I don't like hidden eyes. No, me neither. 
third eyes, hidden eyes. Read Remastered comes to PS4 and Vita. Long ago in a beautiful and mysterious world, an old supercomputer created the digital world that is now breaking down. In a final effort to stop the impending end of the, end of the virtual space, a small creature named Reed was created to save the world. The virtual world now depends entirely on you and your platforming skills. See, that's how you write a write-up on the drop. That yeah. works for me. Very straightforward. Saboteur 2 Avenging Angel comes to PS4. Saboteur 2 Avenging Angel is the second part of the classic retro game hit made by Clive Townsend in 1985 for the ZX Spectrum 8-bit computer. In, in the game, experience the original mission uh, from the 1987 version and continue with new levels and enemies. Learn more about the sister of Saboteur and her dark and secret mission. I always get excited when I hear when I see Saboteur and then I immediately get disappointed. Yeah, it's not the Saboteur you think. Yeah. They released these two Saboteur games back to back, I think, in either back to back weeks or yeah. two and three weeks. Yeah, because we just read something similar to this. Yeah. Spaceland comes to PS4. <laughs> N... <laughs> And turn-based strategy that revives the traditions of old-school sci-fi tactics. Less covers, more action. <laughs> Land on a lost planet and show the mutants what you are made of. Shoot, kick, blow up, and destroy. Assemble the most reckless team of fighters and unravel the mysteries of the mystical planet. Right o- <laughs> And turn-based strategy? <laughs> Come on, man. Come on! Are we going to have a write-up like this? I hope so. Um, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna do a real write up, but then we'll. Uh, what I want to do is write uh, some fake ones, and then we can also solicit fake ones from the audience, which I think will be fun. I've always been cool. a fan of um, every Rick and Morty episode on AdultSwim.com. Just has like a really terrible write up for it. It's it's just like, oh, bro, this is the one where Morty gets in trouble, bro. And it's like <laughs> I always appreciated that level of just carelessness. I just don't know. I, I want to sell copies of the game, no, so sure, I just yeah. don't know if it's like I should I should act like I'm, you know, Eastern European and I don't speak English. Yeah, yeah. No, I hear you. The Adventures of Zero Zero Dilly comes to PS4. The ultimate crash test dummy comes to life. <laughs> I like that. I like this premise already. Help Dilly show off his skills while sh shooting him across the Grand Canyon <laughs> with strange devices. Collect points, find treasure, and soar upward to the highest scores with Dilly. I like this. That's not, yeah, that sounds fun. That reminds me, what was that game? There was an Xbox One game that was, all, what was it? Is it like Test Drive or something like that? Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Where like it was all about like, fuck, like fucking up test dummies i thought i think that's an xbox one game i remember playing it at an event i don't know i think Maybe so i'm just making that up in my in a fever dream the unicorn princess comes to ps4 explore the world on horseback and help the inhabitants of your village befriend unica the unicorn while exploring the real world and the world of dreams from your village the dream world is just a step away you're the only one who can help unica save her world i'm sorry unicorn princess there's only room for one dreams this week one dreams <laughs> unica the unicorn <laughs> Underhero comes to PS4. Underhero is an RPG platformer where the chosen hero has failed and an underling of the evil king reluctantly takes his place as the new hero. Use timing-based combat to defeat enemies as you venture across the land, face off against quirky bosses, and save the Chestnut Kingdom from your own evil boss, Mr. Stitches. Chestnut Kingdom. Yakuza 3 Remastered comes to PS4. As part of the Yakuza Remastered Collection, enjoy Yakuza 3 with restored content in 1080p and 60 frames. In a quest to abandon their bloody past, Kazuma Kiryu and an adoptive daughter, Haruka Sawamura, I can't wait for you to read yours, leave for Okinawa to run the Morning Glory Orphanage. But trouble shadows Kiryu and the Morning Glory Orphanage is soon entangled in a deadly power struggle. 
Okay, uh, Yakuza 5 Remastered comes to PS4. As a part of the Yakuza Remastered collection, experience Yakuza 5 in 1080p and 60 frames per second. Kazuma Kiryu... F- new f- uh, k- ah, Kazuma Kiryu's newfound c- c- calm? What? Kazuma Kiryu's <laughs> newfound calm as... And a sh- oh my god, I'm so upset. <laughs> Calm as an assuming, unassuming cab driver comes to a sudden end. Forced to reckon with his past once more, the dragon of Dojima returns to the criminal underworld to protect those he holds dear. That's a- okay, Kazuma Kiryu's newfound calm as an unassuming cab driver comes to a sudden end. Those are, that's a sentence that I never expected to say. A newfound calm. All right, Chris, those are all of the games coming out this week. Some interesting ones in there. The Yakuza games, Dreams, obviously in there, finally. That Dilly game sounds kind of neat. And of course, we have, where is it? The game about the retro-futuristic sci-fi pre-Columbian universe. Gotta be a more, it sounds cool, but gotta be a more elegant way of saying it. I can't wait for people to shit all over my game. Yeah. All right. All right, Chris, it's the end of the show, so tradition dictates we end with six questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas from the audience. Remember, if you're uninitiated, you have to support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash Stand, where you can submit your questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas, your inquiries to our weekly thread. We get lots and lots and lots and lots of inquiries. We yeah. do our best to include as many people as possible. We thank you so much for your patience as we do a little rotisserie and use some different names here and there. Of course, being pithy and writing in proper English is also a good way of getting used. Adam. Daniel <laughs> Almeida wrote into us and said, hello, my podcast friends. How is everything going? It's going good. Thank you. Colin, I listened to you since the beyond days and I have noticed something. In your other podcasts, you seem to change the other hosts' minds almost every episode. But since Chris started hosting with you, it's now the other way around. He seems to change your mind a lot. Do you agree? If so, why do you think it is? I do agree. I, I want to hear what you have to say about this too, Chris. I think Chris does change my mind. I think he has a different perspective. He's younger than me. He's 10 years younger than me. He plays on different platforms. He has a different upbringing in terms of the games he was exposed to. Everything's different as opposed to the people I used to host shows with that were my age and had my experiences and all those kinds of things. So I think that has a lot to do with it. Yeah. I also think that Chris is kind of an industry outsider, although we both are now. And so I think he has a, a more every man approach to the questions that we have to face on the show as opposed to having maybe overthinking or over access or overexposure to certain conventions that kind of poison your mind or bring you on a certain train of thought that needs to be challenged once in a while. So I think that's why Chris is able to challenge my opinions and that he gives me new things to think about because we just come from different perspectives. But what do you think about this one from Daniel? Yeah, I mean, I never really thought about it. I never really uh, noticed that that was a trend. And I'm not sure it is. Is it? Is it a thing? Does that happen a lot? Well, I don't I don't know. I, I, I understand what Daniel's saying here. I'm not so sure if it's about changing one's mind as opposed to like injecting new ideas, things I didn't think about or didn't consider right, right. to give me a new way of thinking about something. I think that happens pretty often on the show going in that direction. And yeah. I think that that, again, has a lot to do with Chris's different perspective. That's why I wanted to do the show with Chris. Chris is not a gaming industry person. He's a uh, hardcore gamer. He has no experience in the gaming industry. That's why he w- it was so appealing for us to do this show. Chris is a comedian. And so that's why I think our show is silly and funny. But I also think that that's why the show has different uh, different kind of takes. And we hear that all the time from the audience, that the show is just different than other podcasts. And I think that that has a lot to do with it. I will also say that, and I think people know this about me, is that I'm not very disagreeable. So I'm always going to take on board 
people's opinions and think about them. Yeah. And I think that that's what people like about me, too. For all, like all of this like ridicule I get online about who I am and the things I say or whatever, I think I like totally change my mind a lot and listen to opinions and take as much information on board as I can, not only in games and not only on the show, but just generally in my life. Yeah, I think so. And too. yeah, so I, I think that like that's just how I roll. I think that that's like the most transparent and honest way you can be. So I didn't want to do the show with someone that is just going to reinforce my expectations or reinforce my opinions or whatever, but rather challenge me and bring his own perspectives. And I can also teach him along the way, too, because I bring the PlayStation, like the real deep PlayStation knowledge and longtime game industry knowledge. And Chris brings what he brings to the table. And we fuse those things together like a fucked up Captain America or Captain Planet, <laughs> rather not Captain America. <laughs> I wish it was Captain America. That would be cooler. Captain Planet sucked. I hated that show. It was really hated bad. It. Yeah. Chris has the power of heart. No doubt about it. Oh, sick. That's the best one. Because remember, be like wind, water, and then it'd be like and heart. And yeah. Be like, oh, you what a stupid. Useless, what, a, bitch. what a what an objectively like you had to know. Like, can you imagine being the voice actor for that and just watching that episode and then being like, oh, they gave me like the worst thing, didn't they? Yeah, they could. <laughs> they really could have given you almost anything else. They could have yeah. given you the power. I don't even know. Fucking, I was gonna say of dirt, but that's technically of earth. I mean, even so. just like mosquitoes would have been cooler. Yeah, power of mosquitoes. Yeah, it's exactly. like that. Uh, exactly it's like right. that Bioshock. It's like that plasmid with the bees. I love that plasmid. Not very useful. No, I didn't use the. I didn't use the plasmids very much. What? But in in infinite. Oh, that's an infinite, right? No, 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 that's in uh, Bioshock One. Oh, bees. Bioshock One. Okay, I'm thinking of the, of the different one. Oh, maybe I'm thinking like the Ravens. Maybe that that was an infinite, right? Yeah, yeah, that was. You're thinking yeah, of the Vigors. The Vigors, right? Yeah. My bad. Whoa. All right. But no, I didn't use the bees very much. No, I didn't. I liked using the electricity pretty exclusively. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That was the that was the most. I think that was the the most iconic one. That's why they chose to market the game heavily with it. Yeah. And they teach you how to use it really well, too. Yeah. By like shocking people in the puddles and all this. Anyway, Brendan Scott wrote in and said, hey, CNC, been catching up on Sacred Symbols Plus as I am on vacation. And I heard Colin mention that he wasn't into the Yakuza series, which we just talked about in the drop. I wanted to ask Colin with Yakuza 7 coming out later this year, featuring a brand new story and turn-based combat. Would this be something that would catch your interest or is it too late for the series? Keep up the great work, guys. And thanks for being the best part of the week. I don't know, man. I don't know how you feel about this, Chris. I just this series just doesn't speak to me. It just doesn't do it for me. I don't know. I know it's not the same, but I can't help but just get Shenmue vibes from this series. I think that it's totally evolved away from being more like this. But I don't, I don't know. There's just how many times do I, I feel bad re re repeating this? So I guess I'll just keep saying it. But there are just too many games, and I can't put something like Yakuza on the list when there's just so much else that I want to play. So yeah. as far as I understand, what I remember about Yakuza Seven is that people are upset about the changes. So if anything, me getting into the game based on all these changes would be a little bit weird because it's really not apparently a proper representation of what Yakuza is, but do you care about this series at all? I, I've only known a couple of people that really liked it. So I know that a lot of people do. I'm just saying personally, I've only known a couple of people that really cared for it. Yeah, I've never, I've never really delved into it. It's, it doesn't seem like it's a game that's particularly in my wheelhouse. It doesn't seem that appealing to me. It seems very, very, I mean, obviously it's very, very Japanese <laughs> and it's very, very like, I know what you're talking about when you're talking about Shenmue, because I've seen some, I've seen some very Shenmue-esque things out of Yakuza, it's definitely not as cringe as Shenmue. Like, I, I feel like Shenmue is like the room. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. 
Yeah. Where, like, there's just, like, a lot of stilted dialogue, and it's, like, kind of charming. Yakuza is more, like... I don't know. It's just it's just more of an acquired taste that I just don't think I've really had the drive to acclimate myself towards. Like, I, I, it's not off the table for me, but you know, there's it's also just such a long running series. And like, where do I start? And there's like a zero now, and then uh, ah, I don't know. It's a bit much. It's just not not for me. I, I it is a long time. It is one of those rare third party PlayStation exclusives. Although it is starting to migrate to other platforms now, finally, but. It's just one of those games that just never really appealed to me. I'm not I really like Japanese games, as people know, and I like Japanese culture a lot. And the Yakuza is really an interesting, you know, the crime syndicate is like a really interesting thing. But yeah, the games just don't don't speak to me. And I just I don't know. I just can't. Again, like Chris said, and like I said, I just can't escape the Shenmue, clear Shenmue influence. But yeah, Yakuza 7 is. I'm surprised that you said that. Well, I mean, you're not really endorsing it, I guess, Brendan, but I just remember people being really upset about that announcement that yeah. it was like turn based because that's really not what Yakuza is. But we'll see. Maybe maybe I will. Maybe it will appeal to me. Maybe we'll maybe I'll play it one day. I doubt it. Denzel McFlurry wrote in. I wish that was your real name. That's such a great name. Said, hey, hominid Chris and Angelic Colin. First time writing in after two ish months of being a happy patron. Welcome, Denzel. Thank you. Got introduced to Colin and the podcast through Chris. But before that, it was some black guy who introduced me to Chris. So shout out to some black guy. Hey, I like him. by the way, it's, we're not just it's not a racist term. It's Derek. That's his name. Yeah, that's, that's that. his name. We do the podcast. I do. I do the snark tank with him. That's right. Yeah. Uh, with him and Sweeney, right? Yeah. There's two black guys on that podcast. I know, right? <laughs> some black guys. It's pretty diverse. <clears throat> Very diverse. And you're Hispanic. So there are no white people on that show. Yeah. In case that's important to you. <laughs> My. <laughs> My question, what is or are your favorite roguelike games? I'm far from having listened to even 10% of the podcast, but in the ones I have listened to, I've never heard you guys talk about games like Binding of Isaac or Slay the Spire, my personal two favorites. Love to hear your guys' opinions on random generation and games like this and your personal experience with these kinds of games. Much love from Belgium, and thank you for making every day a little nicer. Thank you, Denzel, for your kind words over there in Benelux. All right. Chris, I don't know that I care much for roguelike games. I think Rogue Legacy is probably the roguelike game that I loved the most. I really, really love that game. I think that game's fucking awesome. Mm-hmm. And that came to Vita and PS4, I want to say in 2014, so maybe 2013. I really enjoyed those games a lot. And I think it was 2014. And so that's where I would go. And I think that oh, the last roguelike game I played was Dead Cells, which I liked as well. But my whole thing is... I want games that are made. I don't like random generation in games. Typically, I, I think it serves a purpose in some games. Obviously, obviously, this whole genre is surrounded by random generation. That's the entire idea. But I just I'm not really into the idea of playing a game and it's just different and it's different and it's different. And you don't know what you're going to get. I like the idea of learning and conquering a game. And so I'm typically turned off by it. Like as much as I wanted to love Dead Cells and I think it's really fun to play, I would have loved it much more if it was a game, like a complete game that you beat from front to to back instead of just this kind of random mishmash of stages and enemies and stuff. I just don't find that much satisfaction out of it. Binding of Isaac, I've tried many times. I have it on Vita and once in a while I will boot it up and play it, but I just, I don't know that I really get it. Binding of Isaac is really weird. I I just don't, I think it's like a little over my head or something because I don't really understand what the hell is even going on in the game but how do you feel about these uh, various games in this genre yeah i'm kind of with you i i liked dead cells quite a bit i think chasm was also a little bit oh yeah randomly yeah, generated right. i actually really vibed with chasm a lot something about the the soundtrack and the the art style of that really really gelled with me dead cells is really great 
but yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I feel like there's, I can't help but feel, and I know this is not true. Like, I understand what I'm about to say sounds like bad, but I can't help but feel an element of laziness when I play a game that isn't handcrafted. And I know that there's like a ton of work that goes into making sure that randomly generated rooms uh, like work well. And like there's that's a whole nother different design skill. But like my ape brain just sees a game that's randomly generated. And, and it immediately says to me that these people didn't take the time to craft levels and design them in a way that specifically was designed to like challenge me as a player in, in a specific way. And that kind of bothers me because I, I'm very much like you. I just I, I prefer to have. I would prefer to have, you know, an open world that is very intricately designed than an infinitely sprawling world that is just randomly generated. I just prefer that touch of handcraftedness. I prefer that touch of personality that individual artists and designers put into uh, areas like that. And it's just more satisfying. In games like Minecraft, I totally get it because that's like the point. But yeah, typically I, I prefer games that are just designed flat out. Oh, that was the last sentence. That was the last, that was, uh, I think so. Yeah, I, I can't, yeah. I think you ended with flat out. I didn't expect that. That's why I was, I was waiting. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Chris, we have three more to get through. Robbie Agnew wrote into us, said, Hey, Crystal, the missile, how will you and Colin's first day with the PS5 go down? Will you seclude yourselves away from society for a week? Will you call all of your friends over to celebrate with you? I think we're both going to be dying from coronavirus because it's probably going to be infused into the actual plastic of the PS5. Yeah. And we're going to be dead. Uh, but I think we'll probably experience it in different ways. I mean, I'm definitely going to I'll have it day one as long as I'm able to buy one. You know, I'll secure a pre-order on Amazon as soon as they go up like I did with PS4. So I think I'll be fine, but I'll just lock myself. I mean, I typically just lock myself away anyway. So I, I think PS5 is just going to make that even more pronounced. Can't wait. I mean, I'm so excited. I, you know, experiencing a new console is not something that happens very often. I know that that's an obvious thing, but it's like an exciting moment when you get a new console. It's really yeah. exciting. And we haven't had a new PlayStation since 2013. So it's going to be seven years by the time we get to play it again. So just like messing around with it. Plus, I don't really have access anymore like I used to in the industry. So it's not like I will have played it 7,000 times by the point I have it, which was the PS4 was a little underwhelming in that sense because I had already had it. I had it like a week before it came out too. I had debug units and I was playing it at E3 and behind closed doors and at Sony. So like I remember holding the controller for the first time after the E3 presentation. And so that'll be exciting, doubly exciting for me because it'll probably realistically be the first time I play with it or have the UI or have the co controller. So that's gonna be really cool. But what are you gonna do when you get your PS5? Yeah, I think I'm probably gonna do the same thing. I'm gonna pr I'm probably gonna be fucking around with the UI. A lot of the time, I, I well, we don't know what will be on the console at launch also. So it's hard That's to say true. like it's hard to say that oh, I'm going to be spending all my time with this game or, or like, you know, which is what will likely happen, because what's the point of, you know, using a console without a, a game to play on it? That's going to be a rough time, because at that point in time, I assume it's probably going to follow the same kind of pattern that we've seen with the last uh, couple consoles, which is Xbox and PlayStation are going to come out around the same time. So I'm going to have two machines to try and learn. <laughs> and it's going to be fucking another whole, a whole nother nightmare. Yeah, your, your nightmare is going to be doubled. Yeah. Double your nightmares. Anthony J. Sanchez wrote in and said, hey, CNC, how do you guys feel about being the podcast that many YouTubers often reference in their videos regarding PlayStation? 
I mean, just in the past six months, I can recall at least three instances. Review Tech USA explained how you mentioned you heard that the PS5 was going to be more powerful than the Xbox Series X. I really like him, by the way. He invited me on his podcast. I forgot to get back to him, so I should do that today. Oh, yeah. Uh, which, we're, which we're still not sure about. Mr. Matty Plays mentioned you in reference to a recent podcast not too long ago. Uh, Mr. Matty Plays is actually going to be doing some Let's Plays for us beginning this week, so you'll hear more about that soon as oh, that's well. That's awesome. Yeah, I like him a lot. And just this week, MBG Gaming mentioned you guys in regards to Ratchet and Clank being a launch title. Also, Spawnwave has brought your podcast up, brought your podcast up a few times. I guess ultimately what I'm trying to ask and also say is how awesome is it to be the champion of YouTube that we all needed but didn't know we wanted? Thanks from sunny Florida. I don't think I'm the champion of YouTube. I think I'm a champion of podcasting, obviously. I got to bring up this Ratchet and Clank thing, though, Chris, because this really annoyed the shit out of me. So... On Sacred Symbols Plus a couple weeks ago, I mentioned that Ratchet and Clank is in development. It's been for PS5. It's it is. And it's been in development for a long time. It has been. And then I said, and I've talked about this in the past, so I think people had written about this. But then I said, I feel like it's good. This is literally what I said. I feel like it's going to be a launch title, which I do. I feel like it is going to be a launch title. And I don't know that for sure. But that's what I said. And then people, I swear to God, people go Google this Ratchet and Clank Colin Moriarty and see what happens dozens of stories about how I said Ratchet and Clank is going to be a launch title. No, I didn't. You know, so that's the little bit of the disappointing thing about people reporting on the podcast sometimes. Yeah, is that they just hear what they want to hear. I never said Ratchet and Clank is going to be a launch title. I said, I feel like Ratchet and Clank is going to be a launch title. I mean, I feel like I'm going to shit my pants in 15 minutes if I don't go to the bathroom after this podcast. <laughs> I don't know if that's going to happen, but that's the way I feel. Yeah. yeah. So that so it's cool to be cited. And I yeah, I have a lot of behind the scenes information and a lot of things that I don't talk about and some things I do like Demon Souls. But with Ratchet and Clank, I mean, it's first of all, it's obvious that they're developing a Ratchet and Clank sold in 2016 sold like crazy. And I've been talking about it being in development for the entire time we've been doing sacred symbols. So I understand people don't like, you know, listen to every episode and stuff. But then I was reading about some of the different stories and they're just citing this one source that isn't even really citing me properly. So that's the thing that's annoying because if it's not a launch title, then what people are going to do, Chris, is they're going to tweet at me and be like, you're wrong. You don't know fucking anything. You're not an insider and stuff. And I'm like, but I didn't say that. You know, like <laughs> uh, you're holding yeah. you're holding me to account for things I didn't even say. Yeah, I can't I can't relate to that. I can't I, I have no idea what that's like. It's so annoying. Yeah, it's so fucking annoying. So I appreciate people listening to the show and citing us and all of that. But I just hope that people listen, listen a little bit more carefully to what I'm saying, because I never said that Ratchet and Clank is going to be a launch title for PS5. I said, I think it's going to be or I didn't even say that. I said, I feel like it's going to be because I just feel like it's time. And the game's been in development by this point for by the time the PS5 comes out, it'll be like almost four years. Yeah. So it's it would be it would be a good and that would be a great launch game for the console. So that's how I feel. But by the way, I'm just going to say a few other things that you guys can report on, even though I, I, I actually don't mean them. Uh, the Legend of Dragoon is being remade, and that's going to be a PS5 launch game. Okay? I made that up. I made that up. So let's just see if it gets reported on or not. I'm literally <laughs> saying the next sentence that I made it up. <laughs> it will. So let's see. Finally, Zach Moramondo wrote in and said, hey there, Cardiac Arrest Colin and Cunnilingus Chris. Whoa. Whoa. Now that Chris is playing Hellblade, I have to ask what happened between Ninja Theory and PlayStation? It seemed like Ninja Theory was entering into a second party relationship with PlayStation or even going to be bought up. PlayStation did a lot of promoting for this game, and at first it seemed to be completely exclusive. I wonder where the ball was dropped. Hellblade is truly an incredible game with the sound design, subject matter and facial animation. Seriously, go watch those dev diaries of Molina Jurgens doing the mocap. Thanks and keep it classy, boys. So as people know, Ninja Theory is now owned by Microsoft, but they did make a game for 
Well, all right. So let me let me back up a little bit here. I don't know exactly what happened with Ninja Theory per se, but I will say that I think that, you know, Heavenly Sword was their big original exclusive and they did want to make Heavenly Sword 2. And actually, Ninja Theory is one of those teams where you can kind of track this stuff. Heavenly Sword obviously came out in 2007. They were pretty vocal about wanting to make a sequel, that they even had a, a sequel kind of designed that they wanted to do and they just were not able to pursue that. So they went second party or third party, obviously, and they'd made Enslaved Odyssey to the West, which was pretty good. And DMC, which I think is kind of having a little bit of revision these days. People didn't like it at first, but I think people like it a little bit more now. I have always been on the camp of that's a good video game. DMC is a great video game. It's not a good Devil May Cry, but that is a fucking fun hack and slash. So I haven't played it, by the way. So I, have, I, I know a lot of people like felt like it was like emo and all this kind of stuff, but I don't know. I, oh, yeah, uh, first of all, it I don't is. Think, I don't think, emo, I don't think, first of all, I, I like emo stuff, so I, I think it's fine <laughs> with me, but, but I think what ended up happening is simply that they just didn't have a reliable partner in Sony. Remember that Sony had a lot of second party partnerships set up around PlayStation 3's launch and it spawned a shit ton of games, like, and some of those games didn't do very well. Some of those games caused studios to be shut down. Remember, Factor 5 was shut down because Layer was so bad and you had games like Haze and you had games like Folklore and others. So, it wasn't that like Heavenly Sword was just this unique second party game that was never pursued with that studio again. It was just one of many that happened around that time. So I don't think anything in particular really happened. I think that Heavenly Sword just didn't sell that well. I think Heavenly Sword was actually really good. I would have liked to have seen another one. But they moved on and they worked with Capcom for a little while and they worked with Disney for a little while. And and now they're with Microsoft. So I think with Bleeding Edge, which I think comes out this year for Xbox One and then Hellblade 2 is going to come to Xbox Series X at a time undetermined. They did do a Star Wars game, I think, on Oculus VR. So I think they did just found the money and chased it wherever they could find it. And I think, it, if anything, Hellblade, the original one from 2017, that it found such a reliable audience, like a, a hardcore audience, that's like a cult hit game, I think was a nice change of pace for them because I think that they were really struggling to find a routine with any particular IP or any particular publishing partner. And when you're in that sort of position, it's scary because you never know when the next project is going to be your last. Like when you put out a game like DMC, and even though it's sold appreciably, people are shitting on it. It's really scary. It's hard for you to get that next investment and so on. So they found a partner with Microsoft and we'll see how it all works out. I think that bleeding edge game is a little strange for them. Yeah, they they can try to flex their muscles in different ways. But I don't think anything bad happened with them. They're, they, Sony has had really bad relationships with other other developers, and I can tell you we got about those sometime. But second party developers, like the Chinese Room, which is another British team that made everybody's gone to the rapture. Sony had like a horrible relationship with them, and 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 the Chinese Room has written about it and talked about it about yeah. how horrible it was. So you guys can go read about those kinds of things. I think with this, it's probably not as dramatic as that. Yeah, yeah, I don't think it was anything crazy. Yeah, I don't think so either. And they're not going to work with PlayStation, obviously, ever again. So, I mean, although maybe their games will eventually come to PlayStation 5. Who knows? Who knows what Microsoft's plan is? We'll find out soon enough. All right, Chris, that is all we have for this jam-packed episode. Yeah, it's a beefy one. Yeah, it's a, it is certainly, it's got the beef and uh, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed talking to all of you and I, of course, enjoyed talking to Chris. Hey, thank you so much for supporting us and supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Collins Last Stand. We could not do it without you. And thank you so much for being excited about our game, Twin Breaker, A Sacred Symbols Adventure, PS4 Vita, March 24th. Very, very excited indeed to get that out into your hands and see what you think about my story and about Barry's twin breaking game. 
And uh, hopefully we get a 10 on Metacritic. Yeah, a perfect that's my 10. expectation. Better than The Last of Us. Yes, that's my expectation. <laughs> all right, Chris, thank you so much for your time. Appreciate you. Of course. Thank you all out there for supporting Sacred Symbols. We'll talk to you next time. Until then, goodbye. Take care, guys. Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast, is a product of and a registered trademark of Collins Last Stand LLC and is recorded from Richmond, Virginia and Burbank, California, USA. This show is conceived by, is written by, and is produced by me, Colin Moriarty. My co-host is Chris Raygun. You can find me on Twitter at NoTaxation and on Instagram at CLS Moriarty. Chris is on Twitter at Chris R. Gunn and on Instagram at Chris underscore Ray underscore Gunn. Sacred Symbols is edited by Dustin Furman. To message the show online, please use Patreon's DM service. As you know, all of Colin's Last Stand shows, including Sacred Symbols, are fan-funded on Patreon at patreon.com slash Stand. The following names are at the producer level or higher on Patreon, and we are eternally grateful for your kindness, generosity, and fandom. Chris Adams, Carlos Algarit, Joe Arch, Morgan Ashley, Saul Balcazar, Taylor Barkley, Martin Beck, Tyler Bello, Mark Boggio, Barrett Boswell, Spencer Brand, Miguel Brewer, Lennon Brixey, Eric R. Brown, Jason Budnick, Josh Bushing, Austin Bullock, Dylan Burns, Chris Buston, Nick C., Alex Cabrera, Patrick Harper, William O'Carroll, Brian Chan, Sean Chandler, David Chestnut, Rodney Coleman, Simon Conception, Brad Cooley, John Cordero, Gio Corsi, Philip Crone, Daniel Diamore, Colin Davenport, Knight Draft, David Ellis, Jerome Ferreira, Joe Finelli, Eric Fickenbeiner, Chris Galvin, Darren Gardner, Connor Gashian, Alex Gates, Michael Gates, Salem Ghanem El Ghanem, Tyler Goodwin, Hayden Gorringe, Josh Gravelick, Miranda Grubba, Jonathan H., Eric Harden, Tyler Harris, Richard Hebert III, Kyle Hagel, Wyatt Henry, Robbie Hensley, Scott Hernandez, Asa Haas, Blake Israel, Azan Isa El Ricey, Josh Yeager, Joshua Jonathan, Paul Joyce, Greg Juliffs, Anton Kay, Patrick Kelly, Jeremy Key, Antti Kinnanen, James Kinslow III, Ryan R. Kittredge, Mike Naffo, Mason Cadillac, Jackson Lastiqua, Don Q. Lee, Patrick Leslie, Keith A. Lewis, Chad Lewis, Lewin Ray Loper, Colin Love, Scott Lovelace, Josh M, Kiet Mai, Ryan T. Mandel, Ross Maranka, Matt Martin, Sean Mason, Zachariah McAdoo, John McCarthy, Josh McKinney, Joe McPartland, Raul Melendez, Andrew Mendoza, Chris Moore, Betty Ann Moriarty, Ryan Murdoch, Stephen Nieder, Adam Nix, Donnie Nolan, Dan Nolan, George A. Nunez, Jesse Owen, Jorge Palomino, Andrew Parker, Zach Parsley, Daniel Parsons, Todd Paxton, Marius S. Peterson, Gerald Pennington, Matthew Perdue, Enrique Perez, Jason Pettit, Travis Plymel, Jeff Pollard, Lawrence F. Prokop, Nathan R. Ryan Reeves, Peter Reynolds, Shane Rayum, Jonathan Rice, Daniel Rivas, Petro Rose, A.G. Rode, Jose Salinas, John Schultz, Michael Shanholtz, Toby Schutman, Gregory Slavinsky, Joshua Smallwood, Ahmad Tamar, Ben Thompson, Carl Tolman, Alan Trembley, Michael Vecchio, Oakley Waldron, Justin Wagaman, Dylan Wagner, Isaac Wastman, Damon Weathers, Mike Wayant, Bloody Fang, Galjug, Casual Misfits Gaming, Homeworld Hub, Lockmort, Throw7, McDog18, Infinite, Boots, Organic Produce, Mad Mock Media, Not Your Real Dad, Mubarak, Craft Heads Podcast, Richter86, Hugo's Desk of Fortuna, Andrew, Ian, Chris, Dav9834, GamerFilmaholic, Megadet, and Rainick. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because you know if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. 
or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.